Welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every episode of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we join the Doctor, Romana and K9 as they finish their search for the pieces of the key to time in the season finale, The Armageddon Factor. As usual, we'll be discussing the Doctor, companions and villains and give your thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story and on this season as a whole. So as always, to join the discussion, you can check us out at Time Team, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. Now though, Paddy, for the last time this season, story recap, please and thank you. You're very welcome. Part 1. In the TARDIS, Romana reveals that the location of the last segment of the Key to Time is on the planet Atrios. The Doctor says that he has never been there and wonders what the locals are like. Unbeknownst to them, Atrios is in the midst of a war with his twin planet of Zeos that is ravaging the surface, forcing the population into underground bunkers. In one of the bunkers, the Marshal of Atrios observes the damage report of the latest planetary bombardment with his aide-de-camp, Shap. An announcement comes through of a direct hit on the hospital complex and a young woman in regal attire goes to leave, but she is stopped by the Marshal's men. The woman, who is Princess Astra, demands to be let go to render assistance, but the marshal says that it is too dangerous for her to go. She says that the war will destroy them all and that they should instead try to broker a peace with Zeos, but he says that victory is within their grasp. Shap announces that the bombardment is finished and the marshal allows her to go to the hospital under guard so she can fill her role as a morale booster for the people. After she leaves, he starts a broadcast that goes planet-wide, reiterating the fact that Zeos is close to losing the war and asking for the people to just hold on a little longer. Astra sees part of the speech as she makes her way down to the hospital and shows her disgust at the marshal's propaganda. She arrives at the hospital and sees dozens of people on the floor. She addresses one of the surgeons, Marek, about this, but he says that the hospital is overflowing. He then takes a look at a device on her wrist and says that she is due for a radiation check and takes her to a private area. Once they are alone, Astra's attitude softens and she asks if he is okay. Merrick says that he is fine and asks if she has managed to get in contact with the authorities on Zeos in order to negotiate a truce, but she replies that she hasn't due to the marshals keeping an eye on her. She also says that the last few messages she was able to send showed no signal contact, as if Zeos wasn't there. They are interrupted by the marshal's guard, who says that they need to get back to the bunker. Back in the bunker, the marshal asks Shap if they have managed to regain contact with their lost fleets, but Shap says that their navigation system is still being blocked by an unknown source. Meanwhile, the TARDIS materialises an orbit around Zeos, and the Doctor turns on an external view screen. However, they are shocked to see that the planet is further away than expected, and Zeos is nowhere within sight. The Doctor says that something has gone wrong, and Romana suggests that maybe the Black Guardian is trying to stop them from completing their task. The Doctor says that might be just a coincidence, and says that they will investigate the planet. As they draw closer, Romana reports the intense radiation levels of the planet, and suggests that there must be a nuclear war occurring there. The Doctor tells her to keep a more positive outlook on things, but she says that they usually end up in less than optimal conditions. The Doctor acquiesces to the point and says that the war is most likely being fought over the last segment of the key to time. Their approach is detected in the command centre, and the Marshal orders Shap to track it, believing it to be a Xeon weapon. He then quietly says that once it is destroyed, he can use it as another propaganda victory in order to undermine Astra's desires for peace. Shap observes his odd behaviour, but he leaves, ordering Shap to inform him once the TARDIS is within missile range. He makes his way to a secluded bunker and orders Astra's bodyguard to bring her to the highly irradiated section of the hospital complex under the pretense that it has been decontaminated to make room for a new children's wing. He watches as they arrive and the guard locks her into a room. The marshal then emerges and kills the guard before making his way back to the command centre. In the room, Astra bangs on the door to be let out as her radiation counter starts to increase. 
He arrives back at the command centre and Shap tells him that the TARDIS is maintaining its position and is most likely doing a surveillance sweep. The Marshal orders it to be destroyed and a nuclear warhead is launched at it. The TARDIS crew sees the missile approaching, but the Doctor tells Romana not to dematerialise until the last moment, saying that it will look like they were destroyed in the blast. He tells her to put the locator rod into the console so that they can land as close to the segment as possible. K-9 then counts down the impact and the missile explodes just as they dematerialise. The TARDIS lands in the hospital complex just outside the irradiated zone. K-9 tells him of the varying levels of radiation throughout the underground complex, but points to the guard's body and says that he is only recently dead. The doctor says that they should find the segment, and Romana uses the locator rod, which points them towards the locked room containing Astra. The doctor asks K-9 if he can sense any life behind the door, but he replies that the lead shielding in the door makes it difficult for him to get a proper reading. The doctor asks K-9 to cut a small hole in the door so he can investigate. However, their presence in the complex has triggered an alarm and Shap reports it to the Marshal, who is again acting strangely and staring at his reflection in a mirror. The Marshal tells Shap to seal off the area and he will go investigate it himself. He also orders Merrick to be detained in the command centre, saying that he is guilty of treason. He arrives at the irradiated zone just as K-9 finishes cutting a hole in the door and the Doctor sees Astra inside. The Marshal pulls a gun on them and demands to know who they are. He then sees the guard and says that they will be held accountable for the debt and leads them back to the command centre. After they leave, a missile strike causes a section of the roof to cave in, stopping K-9 from following them. Meanwhile, inside the locked chamber, Astra passes out due to the radiation, but a few moments later, a section of the wall opens and a masked figure goes in and retrieves her before teleporting away. At that moment, the Marshal and the others arrive back at the command centre and he labels them as Xeon spies. Marek arrives and the Marshal says that they are in league with Marek and are responsible for the guard's death and the disappearance of Astra. Marek protests his innocence, but the marshal ignores him and turns his attention to the doctor and Romana. The doctor says they are lost travellers and that they are unarmed, showing him his electronic dog whistle as proof of his harmlessness. The marshal orders Shap to test it to prove that it is harmless and he blows on it, inadvertently summoning K9. He arrives at the command centre and the doctor orders him to shoot out the lights. He tells Romana to run and they flee back to the TARDIS. However, when they get back to it, they discover it gone. Part 2 The doctor says that the TARDIS is actually buried under the rubble caused by the collapsed ceiling. Romana says that there was someone coming and they take cover as they hear someone approaching. They jump out at the person and they see that it is Marek, who also fled from the command centre. He asks them where Astra is, revealing that he is in love with her. The doctor says that he saw her inside the locked chamber and Marek says that they need to get her out of the chamber as it is highly radioactive. The doctor tells him to keep back and asks K9 to blast the door open carefully. He then asks Marek why the Marshal will want to get rid of Astra and a shocked Marek replies that it was probably due to her opposition to the war and her attempts to negotiate a peace. K9 gets the door open and they all rush inside but find it empty apart from her crown. Merrick is despondent at her loss, but the doctor says that she was most likely taken by someone. K9 says that it is too dangerous to remain in the room and they leave, but the doctor tells him to keep an eye on the rear wall. He then asks Merrick about the area behind the wall and Merrick says that it is occupied by an abandoned recycling shaft. The doctor leads him back to the command centre as he wants to know what the marshal is up to. In the command centre, there are approaches related to the marshal by Shap. He asks about K9 and he orders Shap to recover it so that he can recycle it for scrap for the war effort. Shap opens up the wall section and a curious K9 follows a red signal light that leads him onto a conveyor belt that leads to a furnace. Out in the corridors, Amaric asks Romana what they are doing on the planet and she says that they are looking for something. She asks if Astro has any other jewellery or ornaments other than the crown, but Merrick says no. They are suddenly apprehended by the Marshal's guards and the Doctor leads them back to the command centre. They arrive there and the doctor goes to speak with the marshal who's again in front of the mirror but doesn't respond to him. 
Lothra asks Shap what he is doing, and Shap replies that he is meditating, which is he is prone to do when dealing with a problem. Lothra passes a remark, comparing the martial to a ventriloquist dummy, but he then suddenly grows serious when he explains the concept to Shap. They are interrupted by the marshal, who is much more convivial, and apologises for his earlier treatment of them. He says that their arrival was foretold, and that they will lead Atreus to victory over Zeos. Shap says that the Zeon battlefield has been detected, and the marshal leads the doctor to the command chair, so that he can witness the counter-attack. The doctor observes that the Atreus fleet is much smaller than the other one, and the marshal says that the war has crippled their production capabilities. They watch as the fleet is slowly decimated, but the marshal refuses to call them off. Shap explains that the crews are barely out of training, and so the marshal reluctantly orders the retreat. He then begs the doctor to give them the weapon that will win them the war, but the doctor replies that the only weapon he can provide is peace. The marshal says that they cannot sue for peace without a deterrent, and the doctor agrees to provide him with one if he can help him locate Astra. The marshal agrees to this, and he asks what the, the deterrent will be, and the doctor says that he will create a barrier around the planet that will stop the Xeon fleet getting through, but also stop anything from Atrios getting out. The marshal doesn't like the idea, leading the doctor to say that he will create a one-way barrier, but that he will need K-9 to help, but Shap reveals about the dog's current predicament. The doctor demands to know where the furnace is, and he rushes to it and climbs into the furnace pipe to rescue K-9. The marshal orders Shap to shut down the furnace, as he manically repeats that the doctor must not yet come to harm. Shap says that there is nothing that can be done, and the marshal angrily berates him before rubbing at his own throat, which is a small blinking diode attached to it. However, the doctor emerges from the furnace pipe intact with a slightly singed canine. They go back to the command centre and the doctor says that he plans to create a one-way barrier via the use of a psychological warfare. He asks to meet his Zeon prisoner so that he can understand the mentality to find anything that would deter them from attacking Atrios. However, the marshal says that they do not keep prisoners as both sides have committed to killing themselves rather than be captured. The doctor says that he will need to think of something else and Romana asks after Astra. The marshal says that he has received reports that she was captured by Xeon spies, but he is called away as another attack is incoming. Romana takes the doctor aside and mentions the marshal's rant whilst he was in the furnace pipe, as well as seeing the diode on his neck. The doctor says that it may be a control device, and Romana wonders what could be controlling him. Merrick interrupts him and says that they need to find Astra, but the doctor says that they are very close to finding her, but she believes that she is being used as bait for a trap. He tells an insistent Marek that she is probably on Zeos, but Romana reminds him that they couldn't see it on the TARDIS screen. He says that it is being hidden from them by something, but he can't guess as to what it is. He then suggests that Romana and Marek go to take a look at what is behind the mirror that the Marshal keeps looking at, whilst he keeps the Marshal distracted. The Marshal says that they are losing the current space battle, and says that they need to get the force field up immediately. K-9 says, though, that they do not have the sufficient energy to produce it. The doctor again suggests a psychological barrier and offers to go to Zeos and abduct someone to examine. Suddenly a message from Astra appears on the screen telling her people to lay down their arms and hand over the marshal lest they be destroyed. The marshal turns off the broadcast and tells the doctor to do whatever he can to stop the force field. He sends him to a transmat room near the irradiated sector and after the doctor leaves he goes back to the mirror. He starts talking to it, addressing it as Lord and says that the doctor suspects nothing and can be abducted once he arrives at the transmat room. He then asks his lord for his wish of a victory to be fulfilled once the doctor has revealed the secrets to time. Unbeknownst to him, this entire conversation has been observed by Romana and Merrick, who are in the room behind the mirror, which contains only a skull on a pedestal. They rush to stop the doctor going to the transmat. However, they are too late to stop him as the door to the transmat closes behind him. Romana calls out that it is the trap, 
and the doctor was apprehended by two masked men who then teleport him away. Part 3. Merrick asks what's going on and Romana says that the doctor has been abducted by Zeons. She says that they can try and use the TARDIS to rescue them and leads K-9 and Merrick to it. However, when they get to the rubble where it is buried, K-9 says that it is actually missing. Meanwhile, in the command centre, the marshal begs his lord to follow through on his part of the bargain and a voice from the skull says that there will be no more attacks from Zeos. This is confirmed by Shap who reports that the entire Zeon battlefield has pulled back and the marshal orders a counter-attack. Elsewhere, one of the masked figures puts a control down in the doctor's throat and another figure, who wears a black cloak and has a skeletal face, emerges and says the doctor is now under his control. However, the doctor casually removes the diode. The skull-faced figure has the doctor put into a cubicle containing only a chair and then locks him inside it. He then introduces himself as the Shadow and asks the Doctor about his quest for the key to time. The Doctor denies having any pieces of the key and he receives the shock from the cubicle. The Shadow says that the pain will only increase with each denial, but the Doctor continues to say that he doesn't have them. However, the Shadow reveals that he has the TARDIS and demands that the Doctor open it in order to retrieve the segments from inside. The Doctor notices that there have been attempts to break into the TARDIS, but he says that it has an automatic defence system. The Shadow again demands that he bring out the segments or he will kill him, but the Doctor says that he placed him into a limbo dimension that he can only retrieve them with the sixth segment. He says that they are in an impasse, but the Shadow says that he can wait as he knows the Doctor's impatient nature will lead him to make the first move. The lights go down and when they come up again, the Doctor sees that he is alone with the TARDIS. He decides to look around for the sixth segment. Back in Atrios, Romana and the others return to the chamber near the transmat room and she asks K-9 to work on opening the secret door. Merrick announces that the bombardments have stopped and wonders why the Zeons would capture Astra if they knew that they were close to winning. Romana says that it has something to do with her quest and assures a frantic Merrick that they can find Astra using the locator rod. Suddenly Merrick steals it from her just as K-9 opens the door to the transmat room and he dashes inside before they can stop him. He teleports to the Zeos transmat room and then begins to search around for Astra. Elsewhere, on an orbital space station, the Shadow interrogates a chained-up and despairing Astra about the location of the sixth segment. She says that she doesn't know what he is talking about, but he says that the location is a secret that has been passed down to each generation of the Royal House of Atrios. He then shows her an image of Marek wandering the corridors in an underground structure on Zeos, and threatens to harm him if she doesn't reveal the location. Back on Atrios, the Marshal demands to know where Shap is, and he is told that he has gone to investigate an intruder alarm near the irradiated section. He then orders the last available ship to be ready to launch an attack on Zeos. Meanwhile, Shap watches as Romana and K-9 use the transmat, and after a few moments, he follows them through it. He arrives on Zeos and tries to report back to Atrios, but discovers his communicator doesn't work. He then hides when he hears someone approaching, and he sees that it is the Doctor, who stops when he notices tracks in the dirt on the ground. He recognises them as belonging to Romana and the others, which are branched off in different directions, and he follows after K-9's trail, but he is confronted by Shap, who wants to know what's going on. He is shocked when the Doctor tells him that they are on Zeos. Back on Atrios, the Marshal orders the last ship to be loaded with the remaining explosives and broadcast that he will lead the final attack personally to achieve victory. Meanwhile, Romana finds Merrick examining a bracelet on the ground and she wrestles the locator rod away from him. He explains that the bracelet belongs to Astra and he found it using the locator rod. A shocked Romana examines the bracelet with the locator and he gives off a faint signal. In another part of the complex, the Doctor leads Shap through the corridors as they follow K-9's trail. As they make their way, Shap comments on how empty the area is and how it looks like that no one has used the tunnels in many years. The Doctor asks what the Zeons look like and Shap says that they are humanoid just like the Atrians. 
Suddenly, K9 appears, having followed the signal emission by the doctor's whistle, and he reveals that he has been in contact with the Xeon commander. The doctor tells him to find Roman and Merrick so that they can meet the Xeon commander together. En route, K9 says that it has been nice to communicate with another non organic life form, which stuns the doctor. They find Romana and Merrick a short while later, and Romana tells the doctor about the bracelet. K9 leads them to a door with a series of circuit panels on it, and then orders them to remain silent whilst he communicates with it. The door opens a few moments later, and he tells them to wait for him to come back. A short while later, K9 returns and tells the doctor and Romana to come with him, and the doctor tells the other two to stay outside. They go inside and see a room with monitor lenses on the walls, and a computer in the middle of the room. The doctor calls in Shap and tells him to me that the computer is what is controlling the Xeon forces. The doctor says it is the perfect general, and Shap pulls his gun on it in order to destroy it, but it is blasted from his hand by one of the monitor lenses. K9 says that the name of the computer is Mentalis, and the doctor asks K9 to inquire about Astra. K9 reveals that Mentalis has been prohibited from speaking about her. The doctor then asks about his instructions relating to the war, and K9 relates that Mentalis says that the war is over, and the final step is for the obliteration of everything. Meanwhile, the Marshal's ship approaches Zeos on its attack run. Part 4 The Doctor says that they are facing several problems. He says that Mentalis knows where Astra is, but won't tell them, and that the Marshal is launching a final attack, but Mentalis will not counter-attack, and instead it will self-destruct rather than potentially face defeat. Doctor tells Shap that he believes that the entire war has been orchestrated by the Shadow and that he is controlling both Mentalis and the Marshal. Doctor tells Shap and Merrick to go back to Atrios to try and call off the Marshal whilst he and Romana stay on Zeos to try and dismantle Mentalis. Merrick asks about Astra and Romana says that they will find her, but he needs to go back and attend the wounded on Atrios. At that moment, the Shadow places a control diode on Astra and orders her to go and meet Merrick. She calls out to him, leading him away from Shap as they make their way through the, the transmat. Shap reaches the transmat, but he's attacked by one of the Shadow's minions, and they shoot each other. Shap kills the minion, but falls back into the transmat wounded, and then teleports back to Atrios. Merrick wanders the corridors, following Astra's voice, and he eventually finds her. However, she is just an illusion, and he passes through her and falls down a shaft. Back in Mentalis' room, Dr. Romana carefully tried to dismantle the computer without setting off the monitor lenses. Romana suggests that the Shadow has Astra, but the Doctor wonders where he is keeping her. Romana says that it could be in the same place that is blocking Zeos and Atreus from seeing each other. The doctor says that they will go look for it once they have finished dismantling Mentalis. However, after he unhooks one of the sides, Mentalis starts to beep loudly, and K9 says that they have activated his higher alert function, and that any further action against it will lead to its self-destruction. The doctor then says that they have to hope that Shap can stop the marshal. Mentalis continues to beep quicker, and K9 says that he has detected an enemy ship and is preparing its self-destruct sequence. The doctor then gets an idea and ducks down near the exposed section of Mentalis, causing the monitor lenses to open fire at him. However, he ducks down and they hit. Sorry. However, as he ducks down, they all hit Mentalis, destroying it. The doctor says that they are still in danger and leads them back to the TARDIS. Meanwhile, Shap gets back to the command centre and tries to call the marshal off, but he is pleased or ignored as the marshal tells the pilot to keep going. In the TARDIS, the Doctor presents the nearly completed key to time, but he says that it needs to be fully completed in order to work. He then suggests that if they could find something to fill the remaining gap, that it might work. The Doctor fashions a substitute piece out of a material called Chronodyne, but K9 says that it will deteriorate quickly once they start using it. The Doctor says that it should give them enough power to create a neutral, timeless zone, and he hands it to Romana to complete the key. 
Rather than stop time as intended, the fake piece creates a three-second time loop that starts just as the marshal gives the order to fire on Zeos, and Mantanus begins its ten-second countdown. The Doctor says that the time loop is happening all across the universe, and Romana marvels at the power that the key can grant. The Doctor says that they are effectively gods for the next few hours, but K-9 says that due to the deterioration rate of the chronoline, they have less than four minutes before time resumes to its normal flow. Romana suggests localizing the loop to the area that are on the two plants to decrease the deterioration rate. K-9 says that it is working, as the time loop is lengthening itself in accordance with the deterioration rate, and Romana says that they need to hurry. The time loop is detected by the Shadow, who instructs Astra to lure the Doctor to his lair so that he can access the TARDIS. She leaves, accompanied by a pair of the Shadow's minions, and she goes to retrieve a wounded mark from the shaft that he fell down. She then brings him towards the TARDIS, followed discreetly by the armed minions. They encounter K-9, who is on guard outside the TARDIS, but he tells him to take cover whilst he engages the minions. He then chases them off as Merrick leads Astra to the TARDIS, who demands to know how to get inside. Merrick says that only the Doctor can open it, so they set off in search of the two Time Lords. Meanwhile, K-9 chases the minions into the transmat room and they escape. However, as K-9 gloats with his satisfactory victory, a beacon appears on the transmat platform, and a curious K-9 goes to investigate when he doesn't answer his queries. He is then teleported away. Merrick and Astra find the Doctor and Romana outside Mentalis's chamber. She says that she managed to escape from the Zeons and explains Merrick's injuries by saying that the Zeons wounded him and caused him to fall into the shaft. The doctor suggests that he go back to Atrios to attend to his injuries and help their people, but Astra says that she would feel safer with the doctor. The doctor says it would be better if they left, and after they go, the two Time Lords comment on her unusual behaviour and say that they should focus on finding the Shadow's lair, which K9 has actually landed on and begun exploring. At the transmat chamber, Astra leaves the wounded Merrick behind as the two minions return and she leads them to fulfil her task. A confused Merrick then staggers into the transmat and teleports away. Astra runs towards the TARDIS, catching the Doctor and Romana just as they enter the TARDIS. She tells him that she sent Merrick back to Atrios before she fled from the minions. Romana says that the time loop has extended to five seconds, which should buy them another hour, and goes to try and locate the Shadow's lair. The Doctor sees Astra staring at the key. He asks her if she knows where the last segment is, and stops her from touching it just as he notices the control dial on her neck. Romana says that she has located the Shadow's lair, and they make their way towards it. The Shadow observes their approach, with the now enslaved canine by his side, and gloats over his impending victory. Part 5 The TARDIS lands in the Shadow's lair, and Romana wonders how they will find the last segment without the locator, as it is needed to keep the key together and therefore maintain the time loop. The Doctor tells Astra that they need her to find the Shadow's lair, but in a trance-like state, she says that she wants to stay in the TARDIS to fulfil her destiny. She then receives a telepathic command from the Shadow to bring Romana to him. Astra apologizes for her strange behavior and says that she will lead them to the shadow. Romana skeptically looks at the doctor, but he tells her to go on and he will follow them. Suddenly, the console starts to receive the same strange signal emitted by the distress beacon that lured away K-9, and the doctor wonders where his robotic dog is. He then exits the TARDIS and starts to track the signal. He sees Romana and Astra up ahead, but when he turns away from them for a moment, they disappear. He then moves on to follow the signal, but encounters several versions of Romana all calling out for him. He continues on following the signal and also encounters a version of himself. He then notices holographic projectors and security cameras embedded in the walls. He addresses one of the cameras and tells the Shadow that he is aware that Astra is under his control, but he confidently says that Romana is more than capable of looking after herself. He brags about their status as Time Lords and their quest on behalf of the White Guardian. 
Suddenly, a holographic projection of the Shadow's head appears and says that he is aware of their heritage and tells the Doctor that he is in service to the Black Guardian. He then causes the stunned Doctor to fall down the shaft. Meanwhile, Asher leads Roman into a trap where she is captured by the Shadow's minions. At the bottom of the shaft, the Doctor has barely enough time to gather his bearings before he is stunned by the sudden appearance of a man emerging from a cavern wall. After a few moments of staring at each other, the other man smiles and greets the Doctor happily, calling him Tasa Sigma and introducing himself as Drax. He reminds the Doctor of their time together at the Academy on Gallifrey. After a few moments, the Doctor remembers him and warmly greets him before asking what he has been doing since flunking out of the Academy. After having spent a brief stint in a Brixton jail on Earth, Drax says that he has been doing freelance cybernetics work and the Doctor asks him about Mentalis. Drax admits to having created it, but says that he did so after being threatened by the Shadow. He then reveals that he was the one who sent the distress beacon. Doctor then asks him about the tunnel that he was digging. Drax says that he has dug multiple tunnels and attempt to reach the transmat chamber so he can use it to get back to his TARDIS, which is on Zeos. Drax leads the Doctor back through the tunnel and shows him the, his lair, which is full of bits and pieces of machinery. The Doctor sees a dimensional stabilizer of a, of a TARDIS, and Drax says that he took it out for repair. A cautious Doctor asks him why he hasn't used it to escape and checks his neck for a control diode. After initially denying it, Drax admits to being tasked by the Shadow with getting into the TARDIS and retrieving the key, but he again says that he only agreed to it after being threatened with death. The Doctor suggests that they instead work together to try and escape. Meanwhile, Roman is inside a torture cubicle, but remains resilient to the electrical charges being sent through her. The Shadow halts the torture and she collapses to the ground. She defiantly says that she will die before she tells him anything, but he says that the Doctor won't let her die and he sends K-9 to retrieve him. The Doctor hears K-9 calling for him, but notices that he doesn't address him as Master. He doesn't comment on it and instead follows K-9's voice. He meets the robot dog at a grate and tries to get through to grab him, but K-9 backs away and gives him a message from the Shadow, saying that he will give Romana back in exchange for the key to time. The Doctor says that he will give it some thought, but Sully manages to burst through the grate and shoves K-9 down the tunnel towards Drax. He tells Drax to remove the control diode from K-9 and that he will return soon. However, as he makes his way down the tunnel, he is captured by one of the minions. He is brought back to the Shadow and sees that Roman has been placed back into the torch cubicle. The Shadow demands the key, but the Doctor refuses and so the Shadow torches Romana again. The Doctor tells him to stop, but Romana says not to give in. However, the Doctor refuses to let her die and asks what the Shadow intends to do if he gives him the other five segments. The Shadow says that he will destroy Atrios and Zeos and states that the Doctor's time loop will be unable to keep them safe. He says that he and the Black Guardian will turn the entire cosmos into a battlefield and watches as it's destroyed. The Doctor reluctantly agrees to go to get the key despite Romana's protests. After the Doctor leaves, the Shadow removes the control diode from Astra and in a state of confusion, she asks what is going on. Meanwhile, the Doctor and a minion make their way to the TARDIS, discreetly followed by Drax, who has managed to repair the dimensional stabilizer with the assistance of K-9. He calls out to the Doctor, who is trying to dissuade the minion from following its orders, and fires the stabilizer at him, causing him to disappear. Part 6 Drax turns the stabilizer on himself and he too fades away from sight and the minion stares around in confusion before spotting a miniaturized version of the Doctor rushing over to Drax. It attempts to step on the Doctor and misses and then searches around for him. The Doctor gives out to Drax saying that he was meant to shrink the minion and that he can now enter the TARDIS as he had unlocked the doors before Drax shrunk him down. Drax says that he will create a distraction whilst the Doctor rushes to close the TARDIS. The Doctor says that he will need to hurry as the time loop is nearing its breaking point. 
He explains what is happening between Atreus and Zeos and says that he hopes Shap and Merrick will be able to reach the Marshal. He then says that they need to find the sixth segment before the Shadow takes the others from the TARDIS. Drax says that they don't know what it looks like, but the Doctor says that it has something to do with Astra. Drax says he knows a secret way to the Shadow's lair, but they won't be able to get through to it without the proper tools. Doctor says that if they can get K9, then he will be able to help them get into the Shadow's lair. In the Shadow's lair, he sees through a security camera that the TARDIS is open, and he triumphantly leaves to retrieve the other segments. After he goes, Romana gives out about his arrogance and says that they need to stop him. However, Astra mysteriously says that her destiny as the sixth princess of the sixth dynasty of the sixth royal house of Atrios is approaching, and that she needs to prepare for her metamorphosis. Romana is initially confused by this, but then realizes that Astra is in greater danger than they thought. Back on Atrios, Shap is unable to reach the marshal, and he asks about the key maintaining the time loop. Merck says that it will eventually break without the sixth segment to maintain it, and Astra is somehow connected to it. He asks Shaps to be shown to a computer so he can check uh, all the recorded information on Astra's history so that he can figure out what is her connection to it. A few minutes later, he tells Shap that he has discovered a genetic anomaly in Astra's DNA and says that every cell of her body is linked with the key to time. The Shadow arrives at the TARDIS but is unable to enter due to the radiant light emitting from it inside it. He sends one of the minions inside and it returns a short while later with the key. At that moment, Merrick approaches the transmat room and discovers it is guarded by one of the minions. He manages to sneak up on it and forces it to take him to the Shadow's lair. He then knocks it out and takes its robe as a disguise. After he exits the transmat, he sees the Shadow holding the key and needing a procession of his minions back to his chamber. Merrick joins the rear of the procession and follows it. Inside, he watches as the Shadow places the key on a pedestal before turning to face Astra and Romana. He tells Astra to face her destiny, and she approaches the key, turning into the last segment before she reaches it. As the Shadow basks in his triumph, K-9 blasts his way into the rear of the chamber. He tells the irate Shadow that there is an intruder in the room, indicating Merak, and the Shadow orders him to kill him. He, before he does that, the Shadow asks the, about the Doctor, and K-9 says that he killed both him and Drax. The Shadow goes to take the Chronodyne segment out, but Romanus tells him that it will break the time loop, but he ignores her. Suddenly the Doctor and Drax emerge from their hiding place within K9, and Drax uses the stabilizer to go them back to their original size. The Doctor grabs the sixth segment before taking the key and using it to blind the Shadow before leading everyone in an escape. Drax tells him to go back and he'll cover their retreat, promising to meet them back on Zeos via the transmat, and K9 stays with him. The Doctor leads everyone back to the TARDIS, but a frantic Merrick takes off looking for Astra, who he thinks is still alive. The Doctor tells Romana to get into the TARDIS and set a course for Zeos. Romana expresses disgust at the idea of the Guardians making Astra the sixth segment and angrily asks the Doctor how he can stand for it. The Doctor says that he is angry too, but they need to go back to Zeos immediately, reminding her that the time loop will soon end and that they must save everyone on Atrios and Zeos. They land back on Zeos just as Drax enters Mentalis' chamber and they ask him how to disable the self-destruct sequence. After a few frantic moments trying to remember, he tells them which wire to cut just before the time loop expires and the countdown reaches zero. The Doctor then asks about K-9 and Drax says that he is with Marek who they found wandering the tunnels near the transmat room. Romana says that they have forgotten about the Marshal's impending attack. However, the bombs that the Marshal launched veer off course and instead destroy the Shadow's lair. As he dies, the Shadow calls out to the Black Guardian, who expresses no sympathy at the death of his pawn, and says that he will make the Doctor give him the key to time. 
Inside the TARDIS, the Doctor and Romana rejoice at the Marshal's bombs missing their intended target, and the Doctor admits to having deflected them via momentary force field. The Doctor then asks Drax what he will do now, and he says he intends to broker a deal with the Marshal in relation to the reconstruction of Atrios. The Doctor and Romana wish him well as he leaves the TARDIS, and after he goes, Romana says that she will set course for Gallifrey. However, the Doctor says that with the key to time they can go anywhere they want and do anything they want. Romana grows alarmed when the Doctor maniacally states that he can now control the universe. He suddenly goes back to normal, saying that if he actually thought that, then they would be in trouble, and they both agreed that the key needs to be given to the White Guardian immediately. Suddenly, the White Guardian appears on the view screen and congratulates the Doctor on completing his task. He then asks for the key and the Doctor goes to retrieve it, but before he does so, he asks the Guardian that since it is already assembled, why he can't reset the balance of the universe now. The White Guardian says that he needs to have it in his possession in order to keep it safe going forward. The Doctor again goes to retrieve it, but once more stops, saying that if the key is kept intact, then Astra will never be allowed to regain her human form. The White Guardian says that it is a regrettable circumstance, but it is a necessary sacrifice to keep the universe safe. Doctor agrees, but then suddenly raises the TARDIS defences, much to the confusion of the White Guardian. Romana asks what's going on, and the Doctor says that the real White Guardian would not have such a callous attitude towards even a single life, and they watch as the Black Guardian takes on his true form. The Black Guardian then vows to destroy the Doctor, and the Doctor tells Romana to dematerialize as he snaps the locator rod in two, thereby dispersing the key segments back out into the universe. On Atrios, Astra returns to her human form and appears beside Merrick in his hospital bed. Back on the TARDIS, Romana asks where they are going, but the Doctor says that he doesn't know. She berates him for his carefree, irresponsible nature, but he points out that if he doesn't know where they are going, then neither does the Black Guardian. He shows her a randomizer circuit that he has recently installed in the navigation system and activates it, sending them on their next adventure. End of the story. Very good, very good. Thank you, thank you. So, the Doctor and Romana are off to God knows where or when, but we'll go to the one place that we do know where we go after a summary, which is the trivia spot. So, what do you got for us this week? It does. So, the air date for the story is the 20th of January to the 24th of February, 1979. The writer of the story are Bob Baker and Dave Martin. This is the eighth story for the duo and the last one for Dave Martin. We will see Bob again, uh, or Bob's work again, rather. In Nightmare of Eden. Mm-hmm. Uh, director of the story is Michael Hayes. This is the second of three stories directed by Michael. We proved he saw his work in the Androids of Tara. And we'll see his work again in the City of Death. Or City of Death. There's no the in that title. Um, the working title for this story was just Armageddon. It's like, cool. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fairly definitive. Um, and part one of the story was actually the 500th episode of Doctor Who. Oh, wow. The final scene of the story was written uncredited by Graham Williams, the producer, and the incoming script editor, Douglas Adams. So Douglas Adams does get a sort of a pseudo-inclusion in this one. Mm-hmm. So Paddy and I mentioned this ever so briefly a while ago. Um, <laughs> the story is the final six-part that was broadcast of Doctor Who. Until there was an animated special called Dreamland that came out in 2009. Which I have never seen. I don't know if you've seen it. Is this the one with Marta and... Yeah. Yeah, I've never seen it, no. Yeah, so we were saying earlier that you were like, oh, this is the last time I'll have to do a six-parter. 
caveat, shada, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, no, there's another one. So that's the other <laughs> one. If we get to it, that would likely be a rambling, I imagine, more so than a main story, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, the two other stories that come close would be Shara, but that was never actually broadcast. Well, obviously, we'll be discussing it, so Paddy will have to do it for that. Um, and the two doctors, interestingly enough, when it was sold internationally, it was broken up from the three 45-minute episodes into six 25-minute episodes. Uh, so I have the... I have the non-international broadcast version, so I have the three forty-five minute episode yeah, version, which is the original broadcast version. The version that yeah. we'll do anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that technically could have counted for another one, but Paddy saved. Although in fairness, three forty-five minute episodes versus six twenty-five minute episodes is going to save you a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like I was thinking about it there uh, the other day when we move on to the forty-five minute format with with Colin, uh, but then with the revival era. Mm. I'm I'm wondering what the recaps are going to be like, because mm. obviously there's certain scenes which are, you know, I'm not going to do line for line dialogue quotes, and then just some of them already have brief descriptional moments, you know. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think a good guide for that, and we've mentioned them before, is our friends over at Mission Log, because yeah. they obviously do a recap of the episode of Star Trek, and Star Trek was always forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it might be good to have a listen to how Norman John do theirs and steal it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the boys don't mind this one. Yeah. Um, according to Mary Tam in the DVD featurette, there's something about Mary, which I'm sure they were delighted with me up that title. Um, mm-hmm. As well, filming this serial, that she made her final decision to leave the series, and actually they were out for dinner with Lala Ward. They did like a dinner out, and she's like, "Why don't you take over?" And that was sort of her suggestion for who should replace her um we'll talk more about mary when we get to the the cast section mm-hmm. um on original transmission 23 minutes into part five there was a technical fault in the playback which meant the program went off the air for 20 seconds the break occurred at the point where the doctor is being escorted to the tardis by the mute whatever guy um and the shadow is taking the device from princess astra saying now, princess, your work is done. Your whatever, and he sort of goes, "Your dust," and then it sort of cut off. Um, the BBC apologized, displayed a temporary fault caption while playing the music "Gotcha" by Tom Scott, which is better known as the theme tune to Starsky and Hutch. Oh, <laughs> which I just find so fucking mental. Um, until the fault was rectified. When the fault was rectified, they reversed the tape a little bit. Um. So they got the whole sequence again and then the episode continued. Um, another thing that happened with airing of the story is that the public television station WICC, when they aired it in August of 2017, they mistakenly aired it in a one-is-to-one aspect ratio. Mm. As opposed to a four-is-to-three, which meant that the video appeared just as a horizontal... <laughs> they just <laughs> horizontally squashed for the entire duration. <laughs> Can you imagine like one is to one means like the the height and the width of the picture is exactly the same whereas usually it's a four is to three so the height is usually um or the width is usually slightly wider than, than the height or whatever so it's mm. like this is so weird i would admit when i read that originally i was like oh one is to one i was like so they broadcast a straight line i was like no trish yeah you used to teach maths you dumbass that's not what one is to one means <laughs> when it comes to area 
fucking ages. Um, Bob Baker and Dave Martin originally envisaged the character of Drax as this sort of elderly eccentric. They're thinking mm-hmm. sort of along the lines of the aged prisoner in the Count of Monte Cristo, sort of going in that road. Um, but then they reimagined him as this sort of South London car salesman. Type oh, he's thing. he's a pure dull boy, pure oh, dull boy, com- completely like. Mm. Um, a couple of differences from the original storyline. In the original storyline, both Atreus and Zeus were populated. Astra at that point in time was called Reina, but they changed that because it was too close to Prince Reinhardt from Andrew the Tara. It would have been too close. Um, and she was an astrophysicist who had discovered the Shadow's planet lying in between the two warring worlds. And the conflict had arisen because Atreus and Zeus blamed each other for a shift in their orbits. That was being egged on by the shadow, who was known as the presence on Atreus and the voice on Zeus. The Doctor was then forced to use the makeshift gate to time to temporarily flee, freeze both planets' armies. The shadow's own shadow turned out to be the sixth segment. Weird. Um, and his plan was to use the power of the key to put one half of the universe in a war against the other half. The Doctor stopped the shadow by unfreezing the armies and giving each the coordinates of the shadows castle of evil i think i've seen that 80s cartoon um (laughs) (laughs) quite a different story to the one we got it actually kind of it reminds me a small bit of frontier in space yeah a bit yeah yeah um originally the black guardian didn't appear at the end originally the doctor just simply decided he didn't trust the white guardian with the key and he just scattered the segments everywhere that was mainly done because Cyril Luckham was unavailable to reprise his role as the White Guardian okay that answers something for me later on is it the same person no um, no 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 not not <laughs> that but a story beat shall we say yeah mm-hmm. so several clips of scene performances that weren't intended to be broadcast have been circulated from the serial um, and there's two sequences that happened during rehearsal and we know it's during rehearsal some people think that this was done live um <laughs> but we know they're during rehearsal because mary tam has her glasses on which she never wears as mm-hmm. um romana and her hair is in curlers which obviously no um and in one scene uh mary tam and tom baker move in for a kiss after delivering a line <laughs> um and another uh, Tom replies to a negative comment from K9 being you never fucking know the answer and it's important <laughs> and you, you can hear the crew laughing at this off screen unfortunately that latter one sort of led people to um, believe that like that was Tom losing his temper during filming as opposed to being in rehearsal as Tom clearly just having a fucking mess about yeah. um, which is annoying um, it was also during the Armageddon Factor that Tom Baker, Mary Tam, and John Leeson filmed a brief one-minute gag scene dubbed "Doug Who" <laughs> uh, for the BBC staff Christmas party. The scene begins with the Doctor and Mana sitting on the floor by the TARDIS console, apparently kissing off-screen, and then they act tipsy as they share a bottle of vodka with K9, who's asked to sing a few bars of "We Wish You a Merry Christmas." The doctor then asks K9 what he wants for Christmas. K9 replies and then asks the doctor what his desire is. 
Truth the Doctor looks into the camera, then, quote unquote, leers at Romana, <laughs> who leers back before the two actors in the crew break into <laughs> laughter. To date, the rehearsal outtakes, they're not, they haven't been commercially released. They've mm. obviously been made available on video posting uploads. But mm. Doug Who, which was retitled to Merry Christmas Doctor Who, is included as a bonus feature in the Key to Time DVD set. Did oh, I cool. watch it last night? No, because I only watched disc one, which had the episode. I did not have time this week to watch the special features, which mm-hmm. is on disc two. So that is likely on my watch list um, for this weekend. I, I've seen it uh, on video hosting websites and it, mm. it, it's, it's as funny as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> so on to our cast. So as Marshall or the Marshall, we have John Woodvine. This is the only on-screen Doctor Who credit for John, though he did voice Galileo in two big finished stories. His non-Who credits include The Further Adventures of the Musketeers, Zed Cars, The Devils, An American Werewolf in London, and The Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. I really Prin- like him in uh, American Werewolf in London. Hmm. Princess Astra is played by Lala Ward. Uh, Lala will go on to play Romana, so I'm not going to discuss her anymore. We'll talk about oh. Lala's background and stuff when we talk about her first episode as Romana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Same time. Uh, Shap is played by David Harries. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Dave- David or is it David? D-A-V-Y-D. I think that's David. David. I'm going to go David, so. Uh, his non-new credits include Softly Softly, Out of the Unknown, Doombie and Son, and Blake Seven. Merrick is played by Ian Sainor, who's the only on-screen Doctor Who credit for Ian, though he did also do some work with the Big Finish. His non-new credits include The Malins, The Tudors, Doomcastle, and All the Worlds of Stage. The Shadow ooh, is played mm-hmm. by William Squire. This is the only Doctor Who credit. His non-new credits include Blake Seven, All Creatures Great and Small, he voiced Gandalf in the animated version of The Lord of the Rings. And he also was a friend of Richard Burton's and he took over the role of King Arthur in the Broadway musical Camelot alongside Julie Andrews as Guinevere. Uh, which is one uh, of those musicals where I really wish there was more surviving footage because I love the music from Camelot. I think it's amazing. But I'm gutted we never got to see Julie Andrews actually in it. I I love the because I've seen two clips. One is him singing to Guinevere, and then another one is was part of that now long lost um, montage video. Julie Andrews dancing to the Eve of War, yes. and <laughs> th- th- it has a scene of him in it. And I'm always fascinated with the idea of that was bo- n- 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 notorious boozy. Uh, workhound Richard Burton appearing in a musical. Yeah, so the bit you're thinking of where he's dancing with Julie Andrews um, is the song What Do the Simple Folk Do? Mm-hmm. And that is the only song in its entirety, I believe, that we have footage of from the original run of Camelot. And that was actually on the Ed Sullivan show. Alright. Is that a song? Yep. Was that the I know same a lot that... about Julie Andrews stuff, so... <laughs> <laughs> was like was that the separate podcast? Was that the same run that Robert Goulet was Lancelot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's I, by, I, yeah. I love you once in silence, everyone. Yeah, yeah. But by by association, I know a fair bit about Julie Andrews because of Trish. <laughs> I had a phase I never quite got over. 
Um, yeah. William Squire passed away in 1989. As Drax, we have Barry Jackson's the fourth and final story for Barry. We previously saw him in The Romans, Galaxy 4, and Mission to the Unknown. His non who credits include An Age of Kings, A for Andromeda, Zed Cards, Adam Adamant Lives, and Alfred the Great. That was a lot of A's. Mm. He passed away it, in 2013. It, it literally went from A to Z. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let me say that sentence again. Barry passed away in 2013. Yeah. Uh, the Black Guardian is played by Valentine Dial. Dial. D Y A L L. I'm going to go Valentine. with Dial. Let's go with Valentine. Mm-hmm. Um, is the first of four on-screen Doctor Who credits for Valentine. We'll see him again in Mordred Undead, Terminus, and Enlightenment. His non-who credits include The Haunting, Bazaar, The City of the Dead, and Blake Seven. Oh, Blake Seven, this time around. Valentine passed away in 1985. Now, this is, as I've already mentioned, the last story for Mary Tam. There was a long-standing myth um, that Mary Tam revealed to the production team that she was pregnant, and that's why she resigned during or after the production of the Armageddon Factor. That isn't true. That sounds very similar to the, the Carolyn John, John yeah. story. It's not true. Um, and Mary Tam herself has said, well, I didn't give birth until November of the following year, so that makes no fucking sense. Um, but in the DVD, she basically says that she chose to leave because she no longer satisfied with the character of her mama. We talked originally... Um, a couple of weeks ago around she wasn't entirely keen on taking the role to begin with and then they promised her all of this stuff and she kind of felt that they didn't deliver to be honest yeah um and so she was no longer satisfied with the role of mana so she decided to leave and she said she would have returned to do a regeneration spoiler alert we don't get a regeneration scene properly in the way that we think of it uh mm-hmm. for mana but she wasn't invited um and that sort of coincides with douglas adams had said that they had no intention of bringing her back for the next story. Mm. So, um, however, if you want more of Mary Tam as Romana, she did do a number of audio stories, some with Tom um, for Big Finish. Nice. Outside of Doctor Who, she was also in Doghouse, The Likely Lads, Jane Eyre, The Assassination Run, Brookside, Paradise Heights. And in one of her films, the 1987 release of Three Kinds of Heat, her character had the distinction of being killed off by a villain portrayed by Sylvester McCoy. I think I may have mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to say it again. Um, in September of 2009, Mary published her autobiography, First Generation, which is a reference to the fact that she was the first generation of her family born in the UK, as her parents came from what was then the Soviet Union. I need you to have something like happy and perky to finish up this segment in a second, because the next bit I'm going to say is incredibly sad. Okay, fair okay. enough. Mm-hmm. On the 26th of July, 2012, Mary died at the age of 62. The BBC confirmed that she died in hospital following a battle against cancer. Tom Baker's statement was that she was a darling companion and wonderfully witty and kind and that he was sorry to hear of her death. Here's the bit that I didn't know until I was prepping this. Her husband, Marcus Ringrose, died a few hours after her funeral. Which sounds horrific mm. for her i think i read that she had one they had one child and they had a grandchild as well so um that sounds like a horrible thing for them to go through good luck bringing uh, up the mood 
Okay, I'll bring up the mood and I think I will hit that break glass in case of emergency <laughs> story, which is like, usually I tell you to shut up about it. I was going to save it for another one much later down the line. It hits a bit closer to home for you. But in order to bring up the mood, one night when myself and Trish were at work, back in our days and working at Four Star Pizza, and we were cleaning, we had to do mop-up. Uh, it was a two-story building, so I had to wipe down the stairs. Paddy wasn't paying attention. Mop bucket was at the bottom of the flo- the stairs. I stepped in the mop bucket. Trish proceeded to piss herself laughing for the next 10 minutes, <laughs> including pointing at me. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Okay, that worked. <laughs> that worked. Yeah. When you were starting with the Doctor Who, or with the Doctor Who, when you started the Four Star Pizza stories, I thought it was going to be a different one. Um, but no, foot in mop bucket, fucking highlight. <laughs> that was what, like fourteen years ago at this point, nearly. Still uh, something I bring up on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> yep, because it was hilarious. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with the Daddy Cool story. No, no, no. We'll, 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 we'll save that for actually when Bonnie M appears in the show. So if we can hold <laughs> off being sad until, you know, Power of the Doctor, then we can bring it up. So thank you very much for that both insightful and also slightly heartbreaking trivia. Uh, you're hopefully welcome. I was thank able... you for trying to raise my spirits again. But... <laughs> you're very welcome, as, as always. Uh, cool. So we're now going to move on to the character discussion component of the episode, where we will discuss the Doctor, the companions, any story-based companions, prominent characters, and villains. So this week, we've got a fair few to get through. So we have the Doctor, as in the category of the Doctor, we have the companions of Romana uh, and K9. Do we have any story-based, proper story-based companions? I didn't. I just put them all as prominent. Yeah. So we have Bar, prominent characters... You know, the actual villains, obviously. Yeah. So we have prominent characters of Astra, Merrick, Shap, and Drax. Hmm. Damn it! I could have... Oh, I could have saved that story and brought your fucking spirits up another way there i'll give you a freebie um every time i said shap and then when i eventually got to part six i just thought of uh what is it move along home from ds9 but that guy just randomly fucking goes he just appears and goes shap six or shap whatever level they're on <laughs> fuck it i gave away a free story bollocks oh move along home and all our people all our, all our listeners now go i think i'm an idiot <laughs> Oh, move along home. What a weird, fucked up episode. That I know, but I love it. I love what it. was the thing? Alamorain. That was it. Alamorain, yeah. Alamorain, count to four. Alamorain. And two more? Alamorain, if you can see. Alamorain, follow me or something. Yeah, I watched that late at night for the very first time when I was a kid, and I thought they said, hey, hey, Anne Marie. And I started saying that, and you were like, what the fuck are you saying? So then we watch the episode so you can just kind of go, look, that's what they're actually saying. Not hey, yeah. hey, Anne-Marie. Dude, I've only ever seen that episode properly twice. And yet that, 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 that thing still goes around in my head. 
Oh, wait, wait. Villains. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have the Marshal, the Shadow, and the Black Guardian. Yes. Who all sound like bosses from a video game. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as is tradition, whoever mm-hmm. says the socials gets to go first with the discussion component. So, Trish, give us your thoughts on the Doctor. I don't really have many thoughts on the Doctor in this one. Mm. Um, a couple of things that stood out to me. <laughs> the first one was, I know they're trying to kill you, right? But this happens wherever you go. But maybe don't go for the throat as a first response. Because what if, as in this case, the person is actually friendly? So oh. when Merrick is chasing after them, trying to catch up with them, obviously the bad yeah. guys are chasing after them, trying to kill them. The doctor reaches out from behind a wall and just goes for his neck. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> don't, don't hit down a second, motherfucker. Um, I think the main thing that stood out for me here is, particularly towards the end, him keeping things from Romana. Like, he clearly had a plan that, like, the, the way he seems so callous about Astra, when we see what he did at the end and the fact that you know he obviously somehow knew Astro would come back to being a person I don't know how the fuck he knew that um, but it's like why don't you just tell Romana you have a plan <laughs> like why make Romana think you're this absolute heartless prick <laughs> unless it was intended for him to be an absolute heartless prick which isn't the way I saw it um but no, but didn't they, didn't he say like that they had to think of all the other lives that would be like because when his whole thing was the time loop was about to snap, yeah, and like all the people that were still living on Atrios, so like that was I think why he was being so callous in that regard. Like we can deal yeah, with that. Yeah, it, it just seemed with... overly so. And then like with the way the episode resolved itself, I kind of read it that you know he's like get over it. We had all these other people, but he actually knew that he was going to find a way to bring Astro back. Maybe maybe I read it weird uh, no like no i think it could be re- read that way because i read it as we we have a bigger thing to focus on at the moment than trying to get her back mm. yeah maybe like, yeah. yeah um the one thing i will say is that like you know and obviously they didn't know when they were filming all of this this was going to be mary's last story or maybe they suspected or whatever but mm-hmm. i like that here like the doctor says, like Romana can take care of herself. Yeah, which is good. I, I like the fact that like he just outright says it. Do you know? Mm-hmm. And you know, I'll talk about it more. When we talk about Romana. The fact that, like he trusts that Romana realizes that Astra is the key, and he he trusts all of that kind of stuff. And he's wrong, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> <laughs> from his perspective, he thinks that makes perfect sense. Um, his relationship with Drax is interesting. Um, I now know now, I now know where. Thank you. Um, in most fics that refer to the Doctor as Theta Sigma, I now don't know where that came from, mm-hmm. which is good. Um, it's not his name, by the way. People, a lot of people do think his name. Like, it's clearly intended to be like a nickname or something. It isn't established that it's a nickname until an episode of Sylvester McCoy's run. But for a while, there was a, there was a percentage of the uh, fan base that believed that Taylor Sigma was his hmm. actual name. Yeah. Um, so yeah, his, his dynamic with Drax is interesting. 
Um, and we can get into that more when we talk about Drax as a character. Mm. Um, but overall, I was kind of left a little bit underwhelmed. Do you know? Um, I think particularly the end, like the moment where he acts crazy in front of Romana, is like, I think because we've seen like the Doctor in like Pyramids of Mars, for example. Mm-hmm. And then he just has this moment where he's just acting crazy and like, mm, it didn't. I don't know. I was, I was just a bit underwhelmed. I think. Um, now that could be as well because you know I'm not a big fan of six parties in general. Mm. Um, and if there's nothing, if there's no big standout moment, I tend to just get bored. And like, character, I think, you know. I think as well, like just to give, a, I suppose, a slight spoiler. Um, there is pacing issues with the six parter. Yeah. There, there is pacing issues. Oddly enough, at the start, more yeah. so than the end. Um, but yeah, no, like when 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 you have a six parter and there's no, when there's no, you know, well, what's it for? Moment. Yeah, like I, I suppose yeah. this is the thing. Like we have a six parter that's about like it's the culmination of this huge mm-hmm. season long arc, and the back and forth between the Doctor and the Guardian at the end was a little bit meh do you know mm. um you know like if you compare it to like earlier the season in pirate planet mm. where he was having that conversation with the captain in the hall mm. and he was like but what's it all for like and he fucking yeah. lost his shit like that's what you kind of want from the armageddon factor the fucking season yeah. finale the culmination of her and we didn't really get it um, and I don't think that's Tom's fault. I think that no, he no, no, given, no. He wasn't given anything with any level of veritas. I mean, there was nothing yeah. for him to really sink his teeth into. From from my perspective, anyway. How about you? No, no, no. That's a very good point. And there's one thing that's kind of springing to mind was cast your mind back if you can to the time monster mm. and the Doctor's interaction with um, Kronos. That felt like, you know, an extra-dimensional deity. Whereas, we, and we'll get to the Black Guardian, like, in that conversation that there was this, even we don't we didn't have, like, a full season build-up to it, there was a certain element of, oh, this is a kind of a heavy discussion, you know? Mm. Um, quick side note, in before we get into discussing Tom's Doctor, the final section of it i can see every doctor in that sequence Hmm. you know like in the sense of you can imagine hartnell pretending to be all powerful before reverting back to his normal grandfather way we can see you i can imagine yeah i can imagine patrick trouton being like this you know fucking maniacal clown before going back to the gentle hobo you can even see uh john's doctor like becoming this aloof you know snooty whatever before like throwing a sly wink and saying like no no i'm i'm normal i'm just kind of posing the what if um so yeah that that was just one thing that kind of stood out to me and i just wanted to see if you had a very similar insight that you could actually see each doctor perform that sequence i could but i'm not a big fan of the way they had this doctor do it Mm. i know there was something about the way that they set it up the i think Tom's O face 
kind of spoiled it a small yeah, bit. Yeah, maybe that was yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, he like so. If you, for those of you who haven't seen it, he like does he's, like, this rolling like, his eyes, rolling his eyes, and but his eyelids were flashing as well, and I was like, going, man, this is a side of you I didn't really need to see. Yeah, it, <laughs> uh, it just didn't like the intent. I get what they were intending to do, and I think you mm. could do that with any doctor. I just think the the way I, I think it was the direction that Tom was given to yeah. make a whole lot of sense. Like the snap back to normality, that mm. bit was good. Oh yeah, but but the you know phenomenal cosmic power section was just Even a bit. In space. Yeah, <laughs> it was a bit too hammy. I think. Mm. Um, that being said, I think Tom, for the most part, did a good job here. Like he showed the qualities of the doctor that we like, his intelligence. Um, I thought he had some really good compassionate moments here. Um, mm. I loved his righteous anger. Um, I liked his humor because, you know, we talked last week about uh, Bob not being Bob Holmes not being able to put in his trademark humor, but mm. we have Bob Baker and Dave Martin here who, Matt, like, I've given up, I've given out about them before, but. They at least managed to get the humor right here, you know. Mm. Um, I like, and but these are all things that Tom generally can do well when he's on form. Mm. But what really shines true for me here is his care for his companions. Mm. Like he's willing to risk his life to get K nine out of the furnace. Yeah, actually, no, I stand correct. That is that was a great moment. I stand yeah, correct. I, I did not write yeah. that down. That was a great moment. Um. And also, willing to risk the key falling into the hands of the shadow in an attempt to get Romana free. Hmm. Because, like, it's the whole thing of, right, I'll go and get it, I'll bring it back, whatever. By When you have it in your hand and the enemy's right there, there's a chance that whatever gamble you're going to try and do won't pay off. But the fact that you're willing to gamble it in the first place, I think that just hmm. shows how much he's come to care about Romana. Um, like as you as you said, like you know, he trusts Romana. He and again, look, he also completely cares for her. You know, she tells him, "No, I'll be fine." He's like, "No, I'm just stop torturing her. I'll do what you want." Mm. Um, Roman did yeah. call back to Genesis there, I think. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, but again, here, as I said, the intent was right about the corruptive nature of having absolute power. I just think he over, he hammed it up a bit too much. Because mm. as I said, I liked his snapback and I liked the the back and forth himself and Romana had, you know, once he does kind of going like, if I was like that, can you, can you imagine how terrifying it would be? So it wasn't a bad showing from the Doctor. I, I it's, it, it, it's not anything compared to some of his great standout ones. Mm. But it, it's still a good showing. Yeah, I think my, I think, my thing on it is, I, I did forget about the K9 moment from Tom's perspective. I have it from mm. K9's perspective. I've got it from, from the Doctor's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't really feel like a season, like the culmination of a journey, I think is the bit that I was yeah. missing. Yeah, do you know? no. mm. yeah, um, I get that. And I, it because, and again, I put that onto the pacing because it did feel kind of rushed. Mm. Yeah. Well, should we move on to our companions? Yeah. And seeing as how she's leaving, may I suggest we do Romana second? Yeah. All right. So give me your thoughts on the bestest best boy in the bestest best boys. Poor canine. Um, it seems like Bob and Dave really wanted to torture their creation. <laughs> like, first of all, like, 
his little pleas for help when mm. he's going towards the incinerator. I was like, okay. And like, I, I've said before, and it kind of comes across in this as well. John emoting as K9 is sometimes mm. a little bit funny. Mm-hmm. Do you know, like, it just it just seems weird, you know, to have the emotional responses yeah. coming out of him. But his little pleas where he's like, help. Yeah. Help, where we go? Um, mm. I don't like mind control canine. No, no. Um, but like the bit that made me literally like I had to pause because I was laughing so much was when you know he he goes into the shadow and he's got like the small version of the doctor and Drax inside mm. and you know he's like you know the, and then he's like you know like can I was he's like <clears throat> the doctor is dead. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the line was yeah. the fact that the metal dog had to clear his throat and prepare himself to deliver a lie yeah is just because obviously canine doesn't lie do you know what i mean so the fact that no. like they had to think of him like having to like prepare and center himself i just thought was hilariously funny it reminds me of uh the big bang theory you know sheldon leonard has gone to the office yeah. <laughs> as he's telling you um and the part then like when he's like guys where he's like master master now like yeah. hurry the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> um but overall i mean bestest best boy is bestest do you know what i mean i think mm-hmm. it, on one hand i think bob and dave did a really good thing in the sense that K9 is super powerful he, he's too mm-hmm. powerful for most stories really mm-hmm. yeah do you know so you have to incapacitate him in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. um, I just don't think threatening to incinerate him <laughs> and then having him be mind controlled. I'm not a big fan of those two ways, but like in Venice, they were good ways to get rid of him, and they were written in quite naturally, which I thought was good as well. Like, yeah, last week K9 wasn't in it because he can't move in a swamp. Mm-hmm. That was a practical problem. <laughs> yeah, of K9, the unit can't move. Um. But I think of all the ways they could have written him out for prolonged sequences of time in the story, mm. I think they did do it very well. I mm. just don't like seeing it because he's bestest boy and bestest boy does not deserve to be tortured. No. Um, how about you? K9 is the MVP of the story. He is he is the best character in the story. He's the best performance in the entire story. I love him so much in this. Like, his moments in peril, absolutely heart-wrenching. Mm. You're like, because it keeps cutting back to him and he's like, assistance, please, or whatever, and it's getting hotter. And, you know, he falls in and it's like, oh, God. Again, as I said, like, the sense of ter- terror is real. I love his curiosity with the the signal beacon. You know, you will answer mm. my queries. This is K9 speaking. And then it's like, this isn't Atrios. Where is here? And you know, he goes exploring. Um, his turn to the dark side. I know you don't like it. I was very intrigued to see where they'd go with it. Mm. Uh, I loved his interactions with Drax. I thought they were fucking hilarious <laughs> because there's a section there where like Drax is trying to repair something on the stabilizer, and the doctor keeps suggest- suggesting that it's this thing that Drax says, "No, no, it can't possibly be that." K nine arrives. Drax helps get K9 back to being normal, goes back to working in the stabilizer. K9 immediately busts his balls and says, no, it is actually the thing that the doctor was saying. <laughs> um, 
everything here was done so well. Mm. And that comes down again to a combination of two people. Whoever is controlling K9 and John Leeson. John is absolutely fantastic here because he brings such emotion to K9. And this story, I think, really highlights. I don't know whether it was a conscious decision at the time or whatever, but John's distinction, he's managed to make a distinction between both versions of K9 that we've seen. Mm. The Mark II and the Mark One. They are two very different personalities, I think. Yeah. I did forget one other amazing K9 moment. Because I think, yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is just the K9 story, really. Um, yeah. When he meets up with everyone on um, Zeos and um, he brings them to the computer. Mm. And he's like, it's so refreshing to, have yeah. <laughs> to talk to a nonsense. <laughs> organic beings and he sort of has his own thing and like his little like you know identifying mm. who he is and like the fact that he's having to translate for everybody and that was very sweet because again it shows that like K9 as a companion is more than just a tool yeah absolutely and I think actually I think that's the one thing that this story makes very clear is that K9 is more than just a tool he has we got a little bit of it in Stones of Blood. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, like, because he can be corrupted, mm-hmm. like, controlled against his will, he can lie mm-hmm. badly, but he can lie. He can do research and make connections on his own. Mm-hmm. He has his own sense of being. The fact mm-hmm. that he's like, yeah, I don't. It's nice talking to something that isn't fucking organic for once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, whatever. And definitely the conveyor belt into the furnace. He has, he shows fear and mm-hmm. like he was scared and he didn't want to be burned and stuff like that. And I think this story, above all of them, really shows that K9 is a companion and not just a tool. Yeah. Do you know? Um, like, I don't know if it will come up in future stories. I know there's one story where it will come up when we eventually do it. That's like probably a rambling, which is the first Sarah Jane and Sarah Jane spinoff was a pilot called, well, the show was meant to be called A Girl's Best Friend. And it was eventually it was called K9 and Company. And I know Liz Slayton did not get on well with the dog prop. Mm-hmm. It's very annoying. Mm-hmm having to have everything staged around this prop. Um and I you know, I, I need to sort of refresh myself on how she saw interactions with John and stuff. Um but I think for this you can sort of see like, you know, when they can get the prop to do what they need it to do, hmm. John delivers on the character oh, and it huge. becomes a character. Yeah. Not just a fucking annoying thing that can't go up steps you constantly have to go away so you don't see him struggling yeah like i love we never see k9 going into or out of the tardis yeah he gets in and out somehow but we never see how important question yeah now that we've had a full season of each k9 mark one or k9 mark two hmm. i like different things about both of them hmm 
I I still forever love K9 Mark 1 and Leela together. Yeah. I love their dynamic. I like that the K9 Mark 2 has more agency. Yeah. K9 Mark 2 is more of a independent character whereas K9 Mark 1 was more of a pet. If that makes sense. You know it does. It, it makes complete sense. On to Romana? On to Romana. Okay. Now, I no, said I had... No, go on. Just bef- before you start, right, I have to ask, because of costuming and aesthetic, mm. are we in a case of White Queen versus Black Pawn? Mm. Could be. Except she's not really queenly in this. Yeah. That's why I was just asking for like aesthetics. Yeah. But, uh, Aesthetically, to, yes. Aesthetically, yeah. yes. It's very much with the motif. <laughs> People have no idea what we're talking about. It's a whole thing yeah. from an RPG that means how they played. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like, Roman, I will start off with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was saying that like, at one point I had to like pause <laughs> and sort of center myself with K9 and his little thing. I literally had a moment at the beginning of this where. I was just chuckling away to myself for about five minutes. And it came from Romana, who you don't expect to have the one-liners. But at the beginning of the episode, you got the Doctor Romana, and Romana's being all, like, pessimistic. And the Doctor's like, where's your optimism? She's like, it opted out. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, brilliant. (laughs) Best line ever. I think the best line Romana ever had. Yeah, I'm like I love it but I love it for a number of reasons A it's just a really funny line and the way that she delivers it is just hilariously funny Mm. but also because it gives us this insight into Romana that Romana can make jokes now do you know and Mm. I'll get into it in a second about the things I didn't like about Romana in the story things I do like about Romana in this story as Romana's final story is she can joke now yeah she gets on well with you know, people that they meet in the story. So she gets on well with Merrick, even though he doesn't really deserve it. Um, if she gets along with everybody, so there's no... The Ice Queen... Pardon mm. me, the Ice Queen is gone. Do you know? We see how much she really genuinely cares. Do you know? Again, this was something that earlier Romana probably wouldn't have given a monkeys what happened to the people involved in this. But here... She's so upset and so angry over what happens to Astra. And like when she realizes and she's like, you are in a whole lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Do you know? And that I thought was great. And like I said, we have the doctor acknowledging the fact that Romana can take care of herself. And we see that she actually can. Like the fact that she, like, even if it's only against Marak, whatever, right? <laughs> but like she can hold her own physically as well as mentally, which we've seen before. Mm-hmm. As her last story, though, which I know they didn't know that when they were writing it, but they also kind of did because obviously her contract would have been up for renewal and whatever. It's a little annoying because it takes her so long to twig that Astra is the final piece. Mm. And it's like, you're meant to be the all-intelligent time lord. Like, you know, where is that intelligence now? 
you know, because I don't know about you. I didn't know anything going into this episode. I knew, obviously, that Lala Ward was in it. I didn't know anything about the character mm. or whatever. I initially, when we first see her, I was like, okay. And when they sort of have, like, that the thing is going off in her vicinity, I was like, okay, it's the circlet. The circlet is mm. the thing. And then, obviously, it wasn't the circlet. I'm like, okay, so she, w- she was in here. The thing was going off. Mm-hmm. She took the circlet off. She disappeared. The circlet isn't triggering anything, which doesn't make sense with what they do later on. Whatever. It's like as soon as you realize that the bracelet is giving off faint readings, and the doctor gives his line of, "What if it was in direct contact with the blah 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 blah?" blah. It's like, "Come on, Romana! Like, you're not that dumb." Mm. <laughs> you know. Like, as soon as she disappeared from the room and the thing was still going off, I was like, oh, it's Astro the person. Okay, so, do you know, like, come on. And that kind of bothered me. Um, But also, this is one of those ones where she, I feel like she doesn't really do much to drive the plot in her, in her own self. Do you know, she, she found the transporter pad or whatever, the transmat pad, but actually K9 saw that first. So, no. She gets tortured in order to get information, which, not the best use of your Mm. character to drive plot. And in the end, she has no say over how the episode ends. Um, You know, the Doctor makes all the decisions on what they're going to do with the key to time. He makes the decision to scatter it again. And she doesn't really get a say. And, like, she's just there in the room while the doctor's talking to the guardian. And I'm like, um, not really the most fulfilling ending. And, again, you can kind of understand why Mary Tam didn't want to stay on hmm. if that's all she was going to be doing. Do you know, if you compare the Romana from the first story to this story, mm-hmm. as a person, she has grown a lot. She's become much more warm to other people, much more caring. She obviously knows more about the universe now than she did before. But again, she's had less and less opportunity to show her intelligence and to actually be an active participant. Hmm. Which bothers me. Again, it's very similar to you know my thoughts on other people's violent stories where they don't get to contribute a whole lot. I don't think it's fair. Um, but yeah, so I think while there's some great moments from her in this, as a six-parter, she doesn't really drive a whole lot. Do you know? Like, mm. at the very least, I would expect her to explain to me why there is a skull behind the mirror. What the fuck yeah. was that for? What was that for? Uh, at least I her was... to explain what that was. <laughs> at one point, I was like, going, I'm not sitting through another fucking story with the Fendal. <laughs> but, like... What was it? We don't know. I assume it was an amplification system yeah, thing. It, but have her explain it. To have her realize what it is and explain it to Merrick hmm. or something. At least have her fucking identify something for fuck's sake. Hmm. Um. So yeah, um, I thought she had some great moments. She had like, a moment that had me chuckling away for 10 minutes to myself just because it's the best line ever. But I think again, underutilized and for the final story in the arc, she was almost a non-entity. K9 had way more to do than she did. K9 was a much more driving force than she was. 
which K9 is best at sports, so we don't mind. But still, how about you? Uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you on one thing. While Optidote is a great line, it still doesn't beat Space Helmet for a cow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will agree. <laughs> I, I will agree on that one. Yeah. But it's been a long time since we've had Space Helmet for a cow. Yeah. I deserve another yeah. thing that I can laugh yeah. at. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. I don't um, think we'll ever have another Space Helmet for a cow moment. Um, no. Um, <laughs> cool. So a couple of things. Uh, no, in comparison to last week, it's a significant improvement in terms of Romana's portrayal in the story yes. and her presence in the story. You could take you could literally take Roman out of that previous story, and it would make a difference. Here, she doesn't drive the plot in a huge way. She does have a moment where she does where she saves everyone. Hmm. The doctor had completely forgotten about the marshal's impending attack. That is she's true. the one. She's <laughs> the one that reminds everyone that the, the fucking planet is about to be nuked to shit. That's, that's yeah. we'll, we'll give her that one. Yeah, it's done in a very good way. It's a doctor, we're forgetting something. What? The marshal. And he's like, I love, because I paused it uh, for my recap writing. And like, it's just the way I pause it. Tom's curls are all like fucking like a foot behind his head because <laughs> his head is snapped back before he takes off. Um, there's there's things here that I like. As I agree, it it's not a... It's not a great way to show a character's progression or a character's strength through, or especially female characters, through torture. It does feel like kind of a fucking cop-out. But I I do have to admire the fact that she's like, I'm willing to fucking die just so that you don't get your hands on the key to time. Mm. Because she's defiant, you Mm. know? She's not begging for it to stop or anything like that she's defiant and she, she's telling the doctor do what do the do what's necessary make this you know make the sacrifice um as i said alerting the doctor remind the doctor of the secondary dangers thought oh, that was great um the other thing though that i liked was she isn't afraid to call people out in their bullshit like so you kind of pointed out you know um, calling, as I said, calling the doctor um, callous because of mm. he didn't seem to care about Astra. But then also the bigger thing of what sort of a person are we in service to if they are so blasé about imprisoning one person's soul forever? Mm. Like she, she's a, she's effectively calling to question the how white is the white guardian? You know, in, mm. in terms of like the the light side of things. Um, and also at the very end, you know, and it's, it's something that is actually going to be echoed by other characters later on down the line, and it's probably been mentioned by people before. We just haven't mentioned, you know, talked about it. The doctor does seem to kind of blunder his way into situations whilst being responsible for the lives of other people, mm. and he does seem to have this sort of carefree attitude about it. So when he makes the whole thing of oh i don't know where we're going next she does kind of fucking snap at him like to think of like do you do you do you ever consider the ramifications of your actions and or the ramifications of your arrival at places so 
I like I like that she's she's not meek and she's you know she doesn't stay away from confrontation. She calls it out. No, I would say I would agree that for a lot of it she is outshined by K9 because she doesn't really progress she's if she's not beside the doctor she's adjacent to him you know mm. um and she does seem to be babysitting Astra a lot for the story which and is and Merrick she's babysitting too oh Merrick. Jesus Christ she like <laughs> yeah I think was it did you mention about her um, those like just like her confrontation with Merrick. It's like that's like just scolding a child. Yeah. Um, I agree that. Yeah, it's a poor last story for her. Um, and again, like you know, there was the whole thing. We didn't know that she was going to be leaving. Maybe there was something that was bigger and better. But it also kind of reminds me of the, the, you know Caroline Ford. You know, she was promised X, Y, and Z and had very inconsistent writing, so she decided to opt out here. And all I can say is I'm very sad to see Mary go because she has, she really fleshed out Romana. Like, you know, we started off with the Ice Queen and we now have a person that makes jokes, is capable of, you know, standing up for herself, isn't made of glass, isn't the shrieking her- you know the damsel in distress isn't just the by the book yeah you know, the manual like, says if app actually feels like a protege mm. and i'm going to miss i'm going to miss mary tam as romana me too me too um i'll talk more when we get to our overall about um a bit more on the whole end of it Mm. But yeah, like I didn't know what to expect going into this season with Mary Tam. Mm-hmm. Again, it might just be me. Most people don't mention her. No, be, you know, it, when people talk be... about Romana, they always they always think of and refer to Lala Ward. Um, and I think that's supremely unfair. Mm-hmm. Um, because I thoroughly enjoyed Mary Tam, like. I mean, you, you've said it yourself, right? It's very obvious how I feel about a character or how defensive I get of that character. Mm-hmm. And I got very defensive of Romana very quickly. Mm-hmm. You did. <laughs> you, re- you really did. Um, and, again, and again, you know, from going into the, un, you know, for you going into Uncharted Waters, you've grown very defensive over the last two companions. Hmm. So I'm interested to see if that continues with Romana too. Because mm. again, I've only seen clips of her. I haven't yeah. seen. I'd seen nothing of Romana one. I'd seen absolutely nothing of her. I've seen some clips mm. of Romana two. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So we have our prominent characters next. So we have we do. Astra, Merrick, Shap, and Drax. So, how would you Let's like do to do that order? Fuck it, I'm doing that order. Okay. Um, Astra. Yes. <laughs> Astra is an idealist who I think has watched too many of those soppy romance movies. <laughs> In fairness to her, though, like she clearly cares about her people. You mm. know, she wants this war over. To the point, she's technically willing to commit 
what is it treason when she's the leader of the people? She's willing to commit treason no. against her people, but not against necessarily the leadership because she is the leadership. Um, no, it's like she's attempting to broker a peace. It's not like she's arranged a coup behind the backs of the yeah. Um, yeah, but the fact that like, she's even willing to do that, um, you know, it says a lot about Astra as a person. Mm. What I didn't like about Astra, this isn't actually one of the things that made me feel bad for Astra is the fact that she reminded me very much of the Queen of Peladon. Mm. Because Astra has no power. She is the last surviving member of the royal house of Atreus which sounds like something from Dune yeah Um, but she has no power the marshal has total control of everything mm. and to the point where like a soldier was lied to her face and locked her in a radiated room mm-hmm Aside from Merrick, none of them show any loyalty to her whatsoever. Even Shap, once they get to um, Zeos, Shap doesn't give a monkey's butter. Mm-hmm. It, this is your leader, I presume? Like, Is she just like royalty in the sense like she's off the site, she has absolutely zero power, and she's literally just a person who happens to be royal and lives on this planet? Or is she actually the leader of these people? Because it seems like no one follows her. Do you know? And I don't know if that's because she's quite young, the marshal is a very domineering character, or whatever. But I feel really bad for her. That, Mm -hmm. like, none of these people seem to have any loyalty to her. Which is horrible. When you consider the fact that, like, she's willing to sacrifice so much for them, and none of them seem to have any loyalty to her. Mm-hmm. Which is shit. Um, of course, like a lot of a lot of the Astra that we see is actually mind controlled Astra, so it's kind of hard to yeah to speak to that. Um, but like Astra herself, I feel bad for her. Do you know, mm. I feel bad for her as a person. Obviously, she's a segment of the key to time. She's destined to die and whatever. But I just feel bad for her as a person. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Like, she's not a bad leader. She's someone who clearly cares very much about her people and they don't seem to give a fiddler's fuck about her. I will say, though, and I'll get to it more when we talk about Merrick, those two fucking deserve each other. <sighs> and a few too many sloppy romance movies. Hmm. I think. How about you? I agree that it's very hard to get a, a proper read on her because she's only independent for one episode. Hmm. The rest of it is either under mind control or in the trance. Yeah, captive or in the trance of transitioning into the, the segment. Um, But no, I agree. Yeah. That it's, she's someone that clearly cares, clearly cares deeply for her people. You know, she's willing to, she doesn't let, you know, national pride or anything like that get in the way of what's best to keep them safe and it is a bit disheartening that like clearly you get the impression that in times of war the royal family leave everything to their military 
but they still have they still make decisions as to you know we need to sue for peace or anything like that but I think over time as she as you said she's the last surviving member the marshal has abused that power and now she's just this like you know figurehead like she's sent on like PR tours and morale boosting and it is quite disheartening for her and then yeah you know her ultimate fate is as a pawn in a much bigger game that you wonder does she have any agency in life at all Mm. it it's sort of like i mean the way romana reacts to it to me is very much like how um characters reacted to harry potter being the seventh Horcrux. Mm-hmm. Do you know like, this person was raised to die? Mm-hmm. Except, I think the only caveat with Astra is that she wasn't really like the only reason they had to go find the pieces is because the White Guardian figured out the Black Guardian was going after them. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible Astra could have lived her life. And died a natural death. And then there just is no sixth piece. Because it is dead. Or her body reverts to being the sixth piece after she dies. Um, So she could have gone her entire life never knowing. That that's what her body would revert back to when, when she dies or whatever. But um, this whole idea of like raising someone for slaughter. Mm-hmm. You know, is... It's really shit. I, I don't like that. Motive. Particularly because... She is a child. Like she was conceived and she was born and she grew up. Mm. And so the way it sort of came across to me was that like it's something in her DNA. It's a generational thing. Mm-hmm. So like it started with someone who maybe was given part of a key or something was exposed to the other keys and over the years it became more concentrated until finally you've got Astra who's just pure key to time energy or whatever. Yeah. They don't really explain it very well. No, because even think... she was conceived. Because <laughs> like two of the four segments, so like one is a person hmm. and the other one is a planet. And say for example now cl- clearly Califrax is some bit uh, from the pirate planet. It's some bit habitable, hmm. right? Because the doctors had talked about their being there previously. What happens if if there were settlements on Califrax at the time they reverted? If say if they hadn't, if it hadn't been mined by the pirate planet, and they needed to go retrieve it, would like just a section of Califrax all turn into the, the segment? Would the entire planet vanish and all those people would just be like Alderaan, like fucking floating in space? Yeah, the way I saw it with Califrax is kind of like, and we've seen this in Doctor Who stories since, where it's like the segments were scattered to the hmm. winds of space and a planet formed around it. Yeah. So they could have mined for it? Maybe? It, it's it's unusual because like the other four pieces all take the appearance of something mm. as opposed to like being something. Yeah. 
it's interesting that you mentioned the power plant though because the idea of a person mm-hmm. being the key to time actually came from douglas adams from power planet originally mm. um so it's interesting that it sort of reminds you of, of power planet again deeply philosophical <laughs> it, it kind of is like because it's like if if you're if that's her destiny like how much agency does she have in life how much free will you know because clearly when she's exposed to the other segments she goes into total zombie mode yeah do you know and like you, you sort of see it as like there's three sort of options she did the anakin skywalker where she's made of Mm-hmm. Keeps time energies, and you know she's the chosen one. For, for mm-hmm. It's the Harry Potter thing where she was, she alive was born and then, and then made mm-hmm. this thing, and then you have the sort of culmination of both, which is that like she has no because those two characters at least have agency; they mm-hmm. can make choices and they can make bad choices. Yeah. Whereas here, it's like the minute she comes into contact with the other pieces, she ceases being Astra entirely. It's all about her destiny and whatever. And it's like, mm. okay, that's just fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Because that's just not, that, that means like her mind has been wired to somehow know that this is going to happen. Whereas the other two had no clue. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's, it's an, she's an interesting character. I will say one thing. Um, I didn't expect her to come back at the end. Yeah. Because obviously I know that Lala Ward goes on to play her. I thought this was kind of going to be a sort of a Peter Capaldi explaining how he's the doctor after being in Fires of Pompeii type thing. Where Romana chose to be Astra as a sort Mm. of reminder to the doctor that like there's normal people out there who get trampled underfoot Mm. by your fucking shenanigans. Um, no. so I wasn't actually expecting her to come back. <laughs> no, I it's I I don't it's I don't from memory it's nowhere near as noble as that. Yeah. yeah. Um that's what I would have wanted it to be. Because mm-hmm. I think that would have fit with Romano one, as we've mm-hmm. known her up to now. Do you know? Yeah. But I don't know how the regeneration happens, so I don't know. Yeah. Um we'll find out in two weeks. <laughs> yes. Should we go on? Yes. Merrick. Merrick, you love sick fool. And I don't know which of those words is more apt to describe them. Romana said she was looking for Astra anyway. Why steal the tracer from her and go alone? What the fuck was the point in that? Um. Also, don't just go wandering the halls of a place you don't know screaming Astra's name. Like, yeah. I think he might actually be dumb. Like he's a surgeon or a doctor or whatever. Mm. He's also a complete dumbass. Like everything he does and every every way that he reacts. At one point, I was like, "Is it the two of them together are the segment?" Either that or like the boy's been drinking the love potion because like his dedication to her is a bit fucking weird. And again, he's watched too many of those fucking films. <laughs> he's watched way too many of them because he's clearly a very intelligent person. I mean, mm. He's a surgeon, for fuck's sake. But he's as thick as a brick. And all he can what about Astra? What about Astra? I'm like, they're looking for Astra, you dumb fuck. 
they may even have found her sooner, but you stole their fucking tracer thingy. And then he's like, you know, oh, I need to stay for Astra. It's like, you saw her become a crystal, my dude. Where do you think she went? Mm-hmm. There is no Astra anymore, my love. Like, <laughs> that, like the, what did you think the... happened to her? Well, like I, I was waiting for like to see like that his mind had snapped, but uh, in relation to snapping minds, as being a surgeon who's lovesick and is also an idiot, I have three words for you: Major Frank Burns. Ah, he's not as bad as Burns, though. I'll give him a bit of credit. <laughs> well, like you know, Frank is an asshole. Um, yeah, but like, yeah. Um, but he has a lot of similar characteristics, though. That, like, he does. Yeah. yeah. If you take Major Frank, if you take the hot lips obsessed part of Frank Burns, yeah, and remove the creepy childish narcissist part of Frank Burns, yeah, then you kind of get Merrick. Mm. Yeah. No, that's it. Uh, for those who don't know, Major Frank Burns is a character from MASH. <laughs> and one cool. day, eventually, 50 years from now, we may do a MASH podcast if we get around to it. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then he gets replaced with the vastly superior Major Charles Emerson Winchester. <laughs> the third. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, like, I'm like, pretty much that's my entire thing. It's like, you know, American annoyed the shit out of me in this fucking story. He is the, he is the Willie Scott of this story. He's just yeah. constantly. That, that, that's almost a better yeah. example than Burns. Yeah. Like, I would say that Astra and Merrick deserve each other, though. Because mm. they both. I keep mentioning the Safi romance film, but like, you do not understand. This episode starts with. This really cheesy, over the top acting of, but my darling, we'll do this. Do you know what it me of? Uh, we were talking about the Cambridge Footlights earlier, before yeah. we started recording. Whole other conversation. There, do you know, the, the Footlights did their sort of uh, review mm-hmm. thing, and it was recorded. You can see bits of it online. There's, there's a, a segment that they do, and it's, um. Stephen Fry and Emma Thompson. I think, I think Stephen Fry is playing like her dad. I was like, you but darling, what are we doing? I know, darling. Like, it's, it's the only thing that came to mind. I was just like, what is this? What is this really bad period drama? It's a really bad propaganda movie for the war. It's so bad. And those two clearly grew up watching them. And they think that's what love is. Yeah. Clearly, because like that is exactly their scene at the end. Mm-hmm. Now it's a great piece of storytelling that you start with this really soppy thing and you end with, with their scene at the end. Like, could have been a, a continuation of that bad movie from the beginning. By the way, in case you're wondering how bad this, this bad movie was, I usually don't message Paddy when I'm watching the episodes because I like keeping my responses for this. Um, there's only a handful of occasions where I have messaged you being like, what the fuck was that? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. I literally had to pause, take a picture of it with my phone <laughs> and just send him a picture of like loads of laughing emojis just being like, what the fuck is this? But I have a, I have a question for you. Were you laughing at like the cheesy nature of like the, the movie 
or the caption that you photographed, which is there, there are him looking longingly at a woman saying that there are thousands of young men out there dying for it. What about? Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Good because if you hadn't, if you if you hadn't, if you hadn't said a bit of both, I would have been very disappointed in you. Yeah, it was a bit of both. I may have chosen an exact moment to pause. <laughs> yes, <laughs> take good. Good. Um, but yeah, they fucking deserve each other. Um, mm. more power to them and their weird planet thing, whatever. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 but as I said, that's literally my comparison. He's Willie Scott and Frank Burns mashed into one. <laughs> He's just so annoying, and he's he's completely blinded to rational thinking throughout this entire fucking story. <laughs> so, how about Major Sharp? Oh, sorry, Major Shap. Major Sharp. I just wonder else. how many times you say Sharp. No, no. Shap is so confusing. Mm. Like there are two different Shaps. Mm-hmm. There's. The first chap we see, who is the most passive, blasé officer I've ever seen portrayed. It's like, you know, we're losing more men. Yes, sir. You know, we'll fight, the, we'll fight them back. We'll, 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 you've got the marshal being like, all like, Wah! and then the chap is like, yes, sir. No, <laughs> sir. Why are you talking to yourself, sir? He's so blasé. Oh my god! Just, just again, you're coming up. You're you, the way you describe characters. I'm just coming up with more comparisons. He's like Kiff from Futurama. Yeah, <laughs> the jackass wants to see you in that type of thing. But it's not even that because <laughs> Kiff at least has a, has a personality. Like Shap, until he gets to Zeus, has no personality. Mm. He is literally just the most passive officer you could ever have. Then he gets to Zeos and literally the fucking minute he doesn't, actually he doesn't even land on Zeos. The minute he oh no he does when he gets to Zeos, suddenly he's completely fucking different. He's got some hilarious moments of him mm. like creeping around, being like, Where the fuck am I? What the fuck is this? <laughs> His gun looks like one of those things that you get to make like perfect perfectly portioned pancakes. Mm-hmm. Um just like flip it the other way. Um but like on Zeos, he's completely fucking different. He he's slapstick. He's funny, as in like he's been put in funny situations. I'm like, mm. this is a completely fucking different person. And then he gets back to, um, his planet, At- Atreus. Atreus, and he becomes a bit more competent, but also like this fun, easy. I'm like, who the fuck is this person? <laughs> But it's all like how he gets back to Atrios is he is shot, and then he acts like he's just got an electric shock as he goes Marak, and his eyes bug out, and and he prat falls back in, and he yeah he prat falls back into the transmash and he lands back on Atrios. Oh, but yeah, I think Shap is. I don't know who Shap is. Like I literally have no clue what we're meant to think about Shap and who he is. It's no, yeah, like because you kind of said it, like because he's not, he's not what you expect when you first see him, and you you gauge his looks at the marshal. You expect he's going to be like this Captain Knight from the Web of Fear or Vishinsky from Planet of Evil type second mm-hmm. in command, which is like my fucking superior is a bit of a pain in the ass, you know, but fuck it, they're competent, and I'll 
follow through until such a time as it is. But then he just ends up being the comic relief character. Like he's so fucking weird. Like <laughs> some of his facial expressions remind me of, do you remember in, uh, Next Generation when Barkley has his three musketeers? Uh, <laughs> and like he just says, little, little mini Riker. <laughs> he just kind of reminds you. It kind of reminds you of that as well. Uh, you could tell that we're going to be watching Picard later on. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's not what you expect. And that in itself also, I think, adds to a small bit of the pacing issue with this story. Because his characterization is all over the fucking place. And you don't really know what to expect from any scene that he's involved in. Mm. Like I ended it and I was like, what are my thoughts on Shap? I'm like, Shap who? No, no, which Doctor one? Who. Which one? <laughs> do you know what I mean? We see yeah. three. Which, which one do you want my opinion on? Um, so yeah, a very interesting character, I suppose. Definitely a strange character. Because mm-hmm. again, like, you can't get a proper read in him. Like, where does his loyalty lie? Is he loyal to the Marshal? Is he loyal to Atrios? Is he, you don't know. Because he's literally he's literally just there to be the comic relief. Mm. Uh, I suppose speaking of the other comic relief <laughs> portion of this fucking story, I was watching this story the other night, and I was like, "Cool!" I, at the list of characters we've given me, I'm like, "Grand!" I know who that is. I know who that is. Like, who the fuck is Drax? We're on to episode five. What's he on about? There's no one else. And then suddenly this guy pops up out of fuck off nowhere. I don't know what Drax's purpose was in this story. He makes no fucking sense whatsoever. And he creates a big sort of hole in the narratives I'll get to later on. But he's very odd. Mm. It's weird to see a Time Lord presented this way. I sort of see him as like, you know, we have the High Council and whatever. Mm. We have Romana, who started as being a bit of a nice queen and has now gone through a nice bit of development and is much more personable. We have the Doctor, who's the odd one out. We have the Master, who's a bit more than a little bit tapped. The closest character we've seen to Drax is the meddling monk. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's as if someone said, like, what if we had a meddling monk type character? You know, someone else who's out, you know, for himself, doing his own thing. Um... You know, is he causing hassle? Is he not? Does it matter? Do you know, he's just you know out for his own gain, really. Not quite as bad as the master in terms of, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. And then why don't we make him Del Boy? Yeah. Why don't we have him be, that's it, the idiot Time Lord? He failed or he barely passed. No, he, he flunked out. He, he flunked he... out. It's like, okay. And like he makes his his living, you know, traveling the stars, being basically a used car salesman or a mechanic, yeah. and he's not even good at that. Um, it's like, and then, and I think the other thing as well is that he he speaks like a proper Cockney, mm. and he says, "Oh, I spent ten year in Brixton prison," and it's like, right. I can't imagine the Time Lord getting that into being a Cockney unless they were the Gallifreyan equivalent of a Cockney to begin with. 
yeah and like there was one there was a dark part to him though which is that like his tardis is not there mm-hmm. and so he was always playing on hijacking the tardis of whoever came to get the segment mm-hmm. that was always his plan yeah and he's like well i didn't know it'd be you and i was like hold on you were planning on booting whoever as tired as it was and leaving that person behind. But like, he, he's such an odd, I don't get why he's there. Like, I remember, I remember the character of Drax. I didn't think it was in this story that he appeared, hmm. but I remember Drax. And I remember just thinking, even back then, where the fuck did this come from? because if you take a look at the other time lords that have appeared within the confines of the show right you Mm. have the meddling monk there was an entire story built around him Mm. he reappears in the daleks master plan which is fine because he's not there for the end game he appears as a tertiary villain in a Mm. very very long story you know he's not brought in as a he's yeah he's there in the last just after the halfway mark, from what I remember. He's only there for a few episodes, but then the story continues on without him afterwards. Then the next one we see are the is the war chief, hmm. who's built as an antagonist for the majority of the story until Philip Maddox's teeth entered the equation. Uh, then it's like odd, yeah, odd appearances throughout John Pertwee's entire tenure, you know? Hmm. Uh, the master, the guy, that weird guy in the fucking bowler hat that appeared in midair, uh, the council during time of the doctor, Choji. And here we just have, in a story, a guy just fucking appears literally out of a hole in the ground. Uh, it's strange. Like, now don't get me wrong. The guy gave it absolute fucking socks, and I loved oh, yeah. his, I loved his Del Boy impersonation or his his presentation. Like, I can't fucking deny that. And like, even at the end, he's like, "What are you planning on doing now?" Oh, I've got a deal with the marshal, like for reconstituting scrapped. When did you arrange that? About six hours from now. <laughs> he just like plans to travel into the future to fucking do it and then he's like ta-ta remember me to Gallifrey and it's like I can't be mad at him because he's entertaining but he serves no fucking purpose for the story other than to have a really I would say unnecessary shrinking subplot yeah oh the shrinking thing I, I just I don't I don't I don't get it no, I don't get it, it this story yeah. had enough characters Without him being added to the mix. Hmm. And when you consider the fact that, again, Romana didn't have a whole lot to do in the latter half of the story other than be tortured for the Doctor's hmm. benefit. See, the other thing, like if they didn't have him, now again, this is just my idea that me, sprang into my head. If they didn't have him, then obviously there would be more there'd be more of a void to fill for the Doctor to take on the Shadow. I don't know how well you could stretch that out across three episodes. And also having the Doctor be against a pawn of an unseen power, very reminiscent of the Deadly Assassin. Hmm. 
yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's just yeah, he he was there to fill the void. They didn't know how to fucking fill, and as entertainment value, it was great. As part of the story, really, really fucking weird. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Should we move on to our villains though? Yeah, we should. So we have the Marshal, the Shadow, and the Black Guardian. Okay, Marshal. First of all, you're a dick because you're treating your princess like crap, right? I'm not going to do the whole thing. I get, I'm, I'm assuming you can get my thoughts on that, right? If you're going to talk to your imaginary friend in the mirror, maybe, just maybe, use a mirror in a room with a door. Literally, everyone can see you talking to yourself. Like, it's just a suggestion to help you not look like a total nut job mm. in front of your men. Because he's not even fucking stuck. He just walks to the mirror and talks to himself and then he walks away again. Um, and it's it's not even that well hidden. It's not like no. you're like in a secret recess. It's like, no, like it's literally just to the right of where everyone else is. Yeah. To the point where a shop keeps going up and me like, you okay? He's meditating. That's what we call it when he talks to himself. Do you know what it's like? <laughs> was it? Um, oh, it's like in the IT crowd when Noel Fielding's character does a dramatic stare off and everyone else is like, what the fuck are you looking at? <laughs> it's so fucking random. Um, but I think, you know, I think the Marshal can be summed up in two things that he says himself. Mm. Great personal victory and victory or death. That's it. Like, you can maybe explain away a little bit that, like, he is doing it for his people because, like, he's like, oh, so this will guarantee, like, when he's talking to the Shadow or whatever, he's like, so you'll guarantee a victory for my people and we'll win and whatever. But then later on, he's like, this will be a great personal victory. It's like, he doesn't care about peace. He cares about being the winner. And it's either he wins or he dies. And those are his two options. And it's like, you, sir, are a... I don't even know the word. I can't think of an appropriate word for him. <laughs> but, yeah, because you can't blame all of his behaviour on no. control by the shadow, because when the shadow stops controlling him, we still see He's... great personal victory, we still see victory or death. Yeah. And it's like, that was always you. Hmm. That was always you. Yeah, no, trying, there are to, time... trying to get the princess out of the way was always him. Mm-hmm. You know, not wanting to negotiate peace was always him. And it's like, you, sir, are a bastard, bellend, donkey, whatever. Whatever word mm-hmm. I usually use to describe bad people. He's bad people. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you used to say a different word, but we can't say it because it's <laughs> it, it, it's a bit of is a story. Is it the word that we said we wouldn't say? No, no, it's a different one. It's a one that we called someone before that was pointed out that you can't really say that about someone. You're like, all right, fair enough. Oh, yeah, that one. Okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. So it start, he started off reminding me of like those Russian generals from World War Two, you know, with the propaganda speeches and this whole like victory over death aesthetic. Yeah. But then, then actually, because of talking about Shap, he now kind of comes across a bit like a Zap Brannigan. He was a, was a, I achieved victory by sending wave after wave after wave of my own men at these situations. Um, like he's literally throwing the kitchen sink at the enemy at this stage of the game, but still carrying on like victories within their grasp. Yeah, they have like six fighters left. Yeah. And I, I did it at the very end. Three. 
There's just your escape, <clears throat> your fighter. So. Yeah, your your personal shuttle. So it's like, cool, strap every single fucking bomb we have to it. It's like, oh, God. Um, no, he is. He's a complete narcissist. Mm. Um, there is like the. Well. What? So, uh, you and I were talking Greek mythology and ancient Greek yeah. literature earlier on. Mm-hmm. To call the man who keeps talking to himself in the mirror, in a, mirror, a narcissist. A narcissist. <laughs> yeah. A bit You're... fucking on the nose there, buddy. <laughs> You're so handsome, buddy. Yes, I am. Why, thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's a complete narcissist. Um... And he's not, the thing is that he's not even insane. That's that's the worst of it. He's not insane. He's per, he's perfectly fucking sane the whole time. He's just a fucking narcissist debt or glory, so long as it's not my debt um, type of general. And I don't like the idea of him not facing repercussions for this. Well, see, and this is the thing, because we don't see Shap aligning with Astra. Yeah. Because if we did see Shap aligning with Astra, then we can say, well, Shap and Astra will hold him to task. But we don't ever see Shap and Astra interact. So. No, and like as well, Drax's whole plan is to like do a deal where they rebuild Atrios for profit. So not and only is he says he's doing the deal with the marshal as well. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like you know, he like Drax says he's doing that with the marshal, and they're going to split it. 50 50 60 40 so not only is he not held accountable for his fucking essential like you know genocide of his own people he's going to be credited with the rebuilding of the society for profit (laughs) (laughs) fuck this story (laughs) oh god yeah so then we have his puppet master Mm. who is but a puppet himself Mm. Could he be a more stereotypical villain slash monster? I'm the shadow. Ah, a bright light. <laughs> <laughs> to be to be fair, to be fair though, I did like his presentation is kind of cool looking. Oh, it is. But when he, yeah, said, yeah. the, when he says I'm the shadow, I'm the shadow. Like, yeah. Oh, I didn't think you meant an actual fucking shadow. Yeah. <laughs> like the fact like when the terrorists are open, it's like, ah, the light, it burns. No. <laughs> My hands, which are also made of me, yeah. will protect me. <laughs> yeah. A sixty <laughs> watt bulb, you fucking monster. <laughs> um, so his plan was very elaborate and mm. dependent on a number of factors. Some of which, again, I have to wait till my overall because it needs to be like seen in its entirety. But what was the skull for? (laughs) 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 What was the skull for? Um, I think the shadow is an interesting middleman. Um, Mm. Clearly, um, in any other story, I think he would have been very intimidating. Mm hmm. I didn't find him intimidating in this story, but had you transplanted him into any other story, he clearly could have been very intimidating. Um, like the fact that he will torture people, not a fucking bother. He'll control people. He'll do whatever he needs doing. 
from the shadows is interesting. The fact that he created it. They keep they keep calling it a planet. It's like a satellite. Yeah. Like like it has like four satellite dishes around mm-hmm. it. But the fact that he placed it in between the two planets so they couldn't communicate with each other. Fucking ingenious. But then you have ah the light, it burns. <laughs> like, <laughs> really? <laughs> that, that, that's, that's where we're going. Um, so I think in any other story, I think he could have been very intimidating, but in this one, it just it didn't stick the landing for me. And he mm. just came across as like the stereotypical I shall torture your friend and you shall tell me what I need. And then I'll do a weird procession of holding the box and having all of my men fall in line behind me. Yep. <laughs> because there's nobody else anywhere on this satellite that could ever be a problem. I'm convinced of it. Nobody. So I'm going to bring all of my guys back with me so that no one can break into the room because there's no one here. And yeah. Also, this satellite, so this man-made metallic structure that seems to be entirely internally decored to be a rock cavern. Yeah, I didn't get that either. Yeah, wait. It's a like it's a metal structure. How the fuck did Drax dig tunnels in this thing? I uh, I don't get that either. It uh, made very little sense. Just just falling, finding more fucking problems with it. Um, visually, he his appearance is a great counter to the Doctor's in the terms of the pawn of the Guardians. Hmm. You you mentioned like the guard, the white guardian, the guardian of light and goodness, would have a a debonair looking champion, mm. versus the, the black guardian, the guardian of darkness and misery, whatever. His one would be reflected in a sort of a grim reaper esque charred fucking thing. So I think that was kind of a cool aesthetic. Um, I like how there were times where he genuinely did have the upper hand. Mm. which is great. It's always good to have that in these stories because we've said it before, the Doctor has the upper hand the whole time. It just gets kind of fucking boring, you know? Mm. Um, But there's one problem here and I just actually realized it, okay? Mm. In a six-part story that has two planets, there's so much back and forth going on here. There's so much back and forth that leads to kind of nowhere. Whereas if you compare it to a six-parter that's based on one planet with a lot of back and forth that led somewhere, which is Genesis of the Daleks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the Shadow, but I think we're kind, we're, we were kind of robbed of him as a bit more of an intimidating presence because of the presence of Drax in it. Mm. As Now, it it could have been like that if they had tried to stretch him out for too long, it would have been, he would have floundered. Yeah. But... You can imagine, Jesus, like, why didn't they just do like the last four parts where like the doctor and him are like wagering segments in like competitions or something like that? You know, I don't know. Um, yeah, I know, I agree, like, that it, it just feels kind of underutilized a small bit. Like, a lot of potential there, really, a lot of mm. potential. Like, when I was watching it, I was, I was very interested to see who played him because. Mm. I genuinely thought it was the guy who played Noah in the Ark in Space. Ah. Because they use a similar voice modulation for him. And hmm. every time he spoke, all I could hear in my head was Noah being like, Vira. 
yeah. hear me. It's literally all I heard because the, the voice modulation was the same. Um, but yeah, a, an interesting villain in the wrong story. Mm-hmm. Probably the best way to describe yeah. him. Yeah, I yeah this, I think the story let him down. Yeah, the story let him down. And then we have our last villain, mm-hmm. the ultimate villain that we see for the first time in the story. Mm, negative man. <laughs> <laughs> for fuck's sake! I don't have much to say about the Black Guardian. We don't get to see a whole lot of him. Um, mm-hmm. I will say, good plan, in the sense of, don't chase the Doctor around the universe. Meet him at the end. Yeah. And have him bring all the pieces to you. Sit on one piece and wait for him to bring the rest to you. Brilliant plan. Yeah. A star. How the plan was implemented in that confusing as shit. What the fuck? Um, That, I, like, third planet, whatever, again, I don't get it. I don't think we can see much of the Black Guardian here. I love the way he's like, I'll just pretend to be the White Guardian, even though we don't look anything alike. I'll just flood myself with white, and he'll think that we are white. Wait, wait, wait! I've discovered another. I think I've discovered another flaw in this. For fuck's sake. All right, no, 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 no! Don't get, don't get me wrong. <laughs> the plan, the plan is superb, but neither of the Guardians know where the pieces are. No, the Doctor has to find them. How does he know where the sixth piece? How does he know to set well, no, a trap at the no, sixth piece? The white guard says the black guardian was searching for them. All right. So he presumably okay. would be able to find them himself eventually. Okay, fair enough. Right. Okay, yeah. So if also, yeah, he's out. like the black guardian and the white guardian have knowledge of all time and space. So yeah. I bet once you, the doctor bet... knew where it was, the black guardian immediately knew where it was. <laughs> I bet he was wishing I could. I could have just ha- met that giant fucking squid. <laughs> <laughs> or that statue from that planet with that fucking android. Um, a couple of things here about the Black Guardian. He really doesn't seem to get this whole. I all right, the White Guardian is the exact. He does the exact opposite of everything that I would do. So I'll still casually disregard one person's life where I know that that goody two shoes would do anything he can to save it. <laughs> Curses hoisted by my own fucking petard. Um. Yeah, that's the thing. All he had to do was lie. All he had to do was once you give me the key and I usher it to safety, I will separate Astra's essence from the segment or just come up with some bullshit lie rather than kind of going, ah, fuck the bitch, you know? Yeah, I'm very sick. He explains away the fact he does not look like the White Guardian. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was very funny. Yeah. Because um, like, Romana's like, that's not the president. Like, no fucking shit, Romana. Yeah. Uh, he's like, oh, Romana, my child, I can look like whatever I want. Yeah. I was like, cool. But you can't actually look like the White Garden because the guy, Cyril, isn't actually available. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> it's like, the, it's like the daughter's like, that's not the, the president. You know, he doesn't look like the president. Well, neither did the Colonel Sanders looking guy that I fucking spoke to. Um, yeah, because like, that was the, the story beat that I had, which was. I think that was more so for the overall. I think the reveal of him being the Black Guardian is is hampered by the, the fact that they didn't have Cyril. Yeah. Because like, we, we see the Black Guardian. The Black Guardian is essentially, he's a negative. He, mm-hmm. he just appears in a negative form. And that he takes on the form of the White Guardian. So we know that when he appears in front of the Doctor, it's bullshit. 
So that suspense is kind of fucking, or that twist is kind of ruined. Whereas if I think if they had Cyril, it would have been really cool if Cyril appeared out of nowhere and changed into the Black Guardian. That would have been cool. That would have been cool. Um, Yeah. So I'll be curious to see if the Black Guardian tracks him down again. I did mention this actor comes up again, so... Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything because I was going to be like, well, I didn't check who he played in those episodes, but I'm yeah. going to make a logical assumption. Yeah, the Black Guardian is kind of a well-known figure in figure the show. in who, and this would not explain it. So, <laughs> yeah, I can take yeah. the appearance of anyone nighting, so I'll stay as the same shape for the next four times I appear. <laughs> Fool me seven or eight more times, shame on me. so we have reached the end of the road to the key to time (laughs) (laughs) take a breath and don't count to five um (laughs) (laughs) Hold your breath and count to ten again and again. And again. Uh, and again. And again. And again. And Wait, again. there's a nine. I saw an eight. Wait, no, back to ten. Um cool. So we're kinda tired. <laughs> How about you give us your thoughts on your overall? Okay. You you said a second ago, the more and more we were talking about, the more and more plot holes were coming up, the mm-hmm. more we talk about, the lower and lower the score is getting. Mm-hmm. and it wasn't very high to begin with <laughs> so I'm going to set aside the character stuff okay right because we've discussed that already K9 bestest boy ever Romana some good bits but masculine underutilized Doctor one or two good bits but nothing really outstanding supporting cast whatever villains weird underused and not really worth discussion right? mm-hmm. The story makes no sense, right? Mm-hmm. What was with the fucking skull thing? <laughs> right? It bothers I me. Go, I, it bothers me. <laughs> so, so fucking years from now, I'm going to chisel that into your fucking headstone. What was with the skull thing? <laughs> it bothers me, right? One. Two. You raise the point. That's not a fucking planet. It's a space satellite. Why is there caves? <laughs> no sense. Three. Why do none of the people on this planet actually care about their princess at all? Assholes. Four. No one. Okay. Th- this is this is where I need to do some explaining. Where are the Zeons? Zeons, whatever they're called. Where are they? Well, I think it's kind of casually thrown away. Explained that they're all dead, and Mentalis is just controlling a robotic fleet. Okay. But like, that's a throw. Like, I literally at the end being like, "But where did they go?" Or there's the there's the dark. Where did they go? There's the darker aspect of it, which is that Mentalis realized that the actual Zeon High Command were going to surrender, and in an effort to stop that, he had every single Zeon person murdered. Possibly, don't know. Never explained. Drax, as a character, was brought in to fill 
a story that never should have been six episodes to begin with. They did not have enough story for six episodes. They had enough story for four. They did not have enough story for six. But he's probably going to say that he gave the Zeons this machine. I'm like, cool. I would have much preferred if it was like the Arsenal of Freedom. The episode of Next Generation. In my mind, that's like the underrated episode of Next Generation. Which one's that again? It's the one where Beverly and Jean-Luc fall down a hole. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, And we find out the whole thing about Beverly's backstory that never gets fucking discussed ever again. Anyway, in the Arsenal of Freedom, these people created the ultimate weapon, which, like mm-hmm. you said, ended up destroying them. Mm-hmm. And then it just kept on trying to sell itself to prospective buyers by doing demonstrations or whatever. That's what I was expecting to happen. I was expecting to find out that the Zeons are the reason the Zeons never replied to any messages is because they were long gone because their technology killed them. Hmm. No, they didn't build the technology, they bought it, and Drax doesn't seem to particularly care. And no one seems to mention the fact that there are no Zeons. We do not say, oh, we don't take any captives. It's like, did they ever exist? Were they ever real? But then Shep says that he did see them before. They used to trade mm. with them. Okay, so they did actually exist at one point in time. But you don't take captives anymore because their ships aren't piloted. But it's not like in the case of Guardians of the Galaxy where the ships aren't piloted, but there's actual real pilots back on Zeos. There's mm. no one on Zeos. Where the fuck are the Zeons gone? Makes no sense. And then what was the point of that? whole thing why have the two planets at war trying to destroy each other how does that get you the sixth piece that makes no sense and it's just like the whole thing is a house of cards that's like built out of soppy napkins it makes no sense (laughs) whatsoever (laughs) you know the slightest poke in one direction and all goes (laughs) Do you know? So, um, originally, when I finished watching it last night, or the other night, I gave it a 3. Hmm. And then I was like, no, maybe I'm being mean. Maybe it's like a 3.5. And I was like, no, no, it's a 3. And then as we were talking, it got to a 2.5. And then it got to a 2. Because <laughs> the story is shit. <laughs> like, the story itself is shit. Hmm. It's the culmination of this big epic season long adventure and it goes out like a fart in the bath it's just like <laughs> <laughs> you expect this big bang this big like th- no <laughs> done <laughs> like cool also 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 mm-hmm. the whole thing was to collect the key to time to collect all the segments that are scattered throughout the universe. What do we do at the end? Let's scatter them throughout the universe. And it's why, like I said, I get back to it, like Romana's whole thing. And this is, I wonder if this is why people don't mention Mary Tam as much. Her whole mission was to collect the keys of time. And at the end, they just disperse the keys of time. So you could basically fucking skip the story entirely. You missed nothing. You missed the introduction of a possible villain for the future and maybe a good ally for the future. I don't know if the White Garden comes up again. I assume he does. And that's it. That's all you miss. 
you could watch literally the first episode of the first story of this season and then just jump to next season because nothing actually carries through. Except Lala Ward. Yeah. But you just... Whatever. <laughs> if there's no regeneration sequence and you've said that she doesn't regenerate into Lala Ward for the reason I thought she would, then just skip it. No. Just from my from my memory, there there's none of that, like, you know, like, why did I... Who frowned me? There's not the who frowned me this face type thing to mm. it, but I there's a reason. Like there, she says, like, oh, I picked it because of whatever, and just uh, maybe a thirty second dialogue over it. But yeah, we'll we'll see that in, in a few weeks time. But, yeah, uh, yeah, it, I gave it a two. Like it, it should have been a four parter. It maybe would have worked as a four parter. It wouldn't have been a shit. But hmm. the story was shit. The acting was all right. By most people, K nine was fucking amazing. Nah, I give it a two. How about you? Um, so for me, this was a story of two halves, and the first half is for me was a was a slog to get through. Like, mm. just I wasn't into it. It doesn't pick up until the shadow the shadow enters the game. Uh, also, because you mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy. And we have a character called Drax. I'm just having this whole thing of, so you're saying a tiny one-inch man came out of a robotic dog and fucking stopped all of time. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so it doesn't really pick up until like the shadow enters the game. Um, our core trio have varying from good to great performances. You know, like, as a K-9 is the MVP of the story. Um, I liked one or two of the guest stars' performances. I I liked the guy playing the shadow, and I thought he was cool. I liked Drax's performance because it was just fucking funny. Like, as I said, a Del Boy, uh, like actually, like just talking in Cockney slang. It was great. Uh, there's some direct. We can't go over like the directional and script beats that are just make no sense. Why is the marshal having these secret conversations two feet to the left of where everyone is? It makes no fucking sense. And why um, does he need a control thingy if he's doing it all of his own free will anyway? What's the control thingy for if the skull's there for him to talk to someone? Yeah. And also the the, the shadow can telepathically communicate to someone within the TARDIS. So why does he need an amplifier? Um, the What's the skull for, Paddy? <laughs> Also, like, what? Why are the control diodes in such an obvious fucking place, as opposed to being like on someone's spine or or the under... back of the neck? Back of the neck is yeah. is easier to hide. Yeah, like or just like somewhere that, like you know, if you shake someone roughly, you're not going to fucking see it. Um, also, like again, it's an it's a visual choice with the Black Guardian going from like normal uh, to a negative. Uh, print, it's just stupid because all you like all it really is pronounces his eyes and his teeth, and he's just like this weird. Ah, da, 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 da. He's, he's like he's like chewing on a particularly tough piece of toffee, um, and it, it, for me again that loses the the impact of this terrifying creature. You know, like he's meant to be like the antithesis to everything that is good and light in the universe. And he just comes across as a dick dastardly. Um, 
so it started off as a three for me, but it's it's bumped down to a two. And it was like it was just I so I finished it and then I, I watched it again last night because six parters you sometimes and depending on how the pace of the six parters go, sometimes you miss out on stuff. Like mm. you you're like, what did that person do again? Whatever and you know, so I watched it back and I was like going, All right, nothing. That person did nothing. I I, I reinvested in their fucking arc for nothing. Um so yeah, as you said, this season long arc started strong, started really strong, mm. and it continued strong. But these last two stories really let it down. Like, even though we said, like, you know, we, like, it wasn't on par with the first three stories, Androids of Tara was still good. It was still, yeah, fun. it was, it was above average. Yeah. But Power of Crawl didn't it just added not it was a story that we had seen before not done as well as before and the focus was weird sh- weird they had a great they had a great story they had great subplot there that should have been the actual plot mm. here again we have a great idea but poorly executed yeah like it's a bit disappointing because like you know we started off this season and we're like, we're going to compare it to the Keys of Marinus, which is like a similar type of thing, but over a shorter mm. episode length. And then we're like, oh my God, we're going to be comparing it to like season 12 and, you know, the start of um, of season 13 or uh, we're compared to season 12 and the start of season 13. And it's like, it didn't come anywhere close to them. Do you know? It didn't go as bad as season 15, which had horror, fine rock, and then just like, yeah. dropped off the edge of reality altogether. But like this season average is now 3.54. And after the first three stories, it was like 4.47 or something. Mm. It was running really high. So, I mean, season... Like, season 15 is still well below it, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, season 13, or season 14 beat it, season 13 beat it. What's the nearest one to us? 3.54. Probably season Uh, 3 or something. Season 9, you gave it a Um, 3.3. Season 8, you gave it 3.65, I gave it 3.25. Season 6... 3.46 3.46 and 3.32 is probably the closest one. Yeah. And season That's 6 it. was the Dominators, Mind Robber, Invasion, Ooh, Proton, Speed the, See the Death, Space Pirates, and the War Games. Oof. Like, that wasn't a very strong showing all yeah. in, like, do you know? Yeah, sorry, season 3 was a 2.75. Uh, actually, wait, season 4, 3.56 and 3.69. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, so season season four is probably the closest to us, really. Season four, or season six, I think, would probably be the the closest. Yeah, I was, I was trying. Fucking... I was trying to remember what season eights and nines were, and I was going, yeah, they were very fucking kind of all over the place at times. Uh, but at least not like none of the stories here reached the lowest story in those seasons, which was the mutants, one point yeah. seven five. Um. 
And actually, I was just looking, thinking back to it there. We compared it to the Keys of Marinus, and it turns out it has there's a lot of similar things in it. Like there's there's a trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is unwanted sexual advances. Yes. <laughs> there is living flora and fauna that want mm-hmm. to kill people. There is knights of a sort with the with mm-hmm. the weird frozen dudes. And also there is a big massive MacGuffin weapon that an ulterior evil power is trying to get a hold of. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you have someone impersonating yeah. the good guy? at the end mm-hmm. you have the guy yeah, who sets the mission you have the bad guy at the end impersonating the guy who set the mission yeah yeah guys go watch these manners yep um, <laughs> that was a four yep that was a four and we're not just saying it because we're Bill Hartnell fans it's a lot of fun yeah and genuinely fucking disturbing at times like do you remember when uh, Barbara smashed open those fucking weird brain jars oh yeah their, their oh wait Ian tries death, to strangle her yeah and those uh, death screams as well yeah fuck yeah. it Watch the Keys of Marinus. Yeah, go back and watch the Keys of uh, yeah. So watch the first three stories of this, and then watch the Keys of Marinus. Watch the fourth one as well, if you just want to have yeah. a... Yeah, watch the yeah. Um yeah. Or watch but... Robin Hood Minutites. <laughs> that too. Um, <laughs> we have reached the end of season 16. Mm-hmm. Next week, we will have our look back on, I think we can both say, the wonderful Mary Tam. Yes, definitely. If there's one shining beacon from this entire season, it's, it's K nine. Well, I was going to say it's K nine, but it's also it's it's no no it's it's Mary Tap. Yeah. Um, yeah, it will be similar to what we did for Le Shaw, where we're going to rank the six stories, uh, six or four, and Harry, Harry as oh, well. Harry, we did oh. Harry's on here. Um, and then the following week we'll kick off season seventeen. Yes, with a return. Of some people, for some people it's an old favourite, for some people it's not an old favourite, but it's an integral part of Doctor Who with Destiny of the Daleks. <gasps> <laughs> I always think the fact that the episode titles are of the Daleks is like, fantastic. oh yeah, I, I, I'm going to be so fucking mad when we get to Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> but that's still yeah. a long way off. In the meantime, yeah. Bye. good luck, enjoy. Bye. Whatever. <laughs> We've been recording for nearly three hours. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And and this week we didn't talk shite for like an hour in between. No. Alright. But everyone, bye. Bye.